you buy a used car from these gentlemen? I have no idea. <laughs> you're right, you're right, Merritt, mate. How, how are you doing today? Here, wash off the boys. What you say to me, old boy? Ah, not much. I just, uh, I'm just hanging about in this blue background here. What, what are you saying? <laughs> oh, that's about right. I like hey. Hey, we we fooled them. They thought that was us, yeah. Yeah, not. Look at us go, eh? Brand away on our merch, plugging it, plugging it. These are the test. This is the test batch that uh, my very good friend. You might be able to see. You might be able to just hear. Martin J. Robinson, Marty J. I call him Marv. Marv La. You've been going on Marty quite a lot recently. That's your new thing. For I me, love right? Marty now. It's Marty. It's almost like you're a nineties, um, a nineties sitcom character from America. Yeah, maybe lives across the hall. You know, lives across the hall, always getting into shenanigans. Oh, always stuff, eh? Always playing the wrong chord, and they can they can hear it next door. You know. Oh, they can hear it. I can hear it thirty miles away, mate. <laughs> but yeah, we've got uh, we've been doing some sample merch. We've got these mugs with our faces on it. We're going to do one with the logo too. Um, that's good. And we've also got, oh, he's showing it. He's showing it. So for people that listen on Spotify, we have got some uh, mugs with our faces on them. And we've got a t-shirt, 50 Ways to Take an Arm t-shirt. It's kind of like a pocket one, but it hasn't actually got the pocket on the t-shirt. So yeah, there's no pocket. Left. It's yeah, just no a, it's, it's a really nice, actually, to be honest with you, it's a really, oh, hello, there we go. It's a really nice fit. Um, and everyone, Everyone, including one of my inebriated neighbours, was like, is that your face? <laughs> but genuinely, and I was like, yes, my podcast. And they were like, you do a podcast? Talking point, spread the love, share the wealth. I won't be sharing the wealth, but, you know, <laughs> they, they are nice and plus the fact, because it's a little bit, a little bit like skinny fit. It makes me look like a hench bouncer when I cross my arms. If I do That's that. True. That's true. It looks like I'm about to like roll you up, <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, I'm really hype on them. Got a mug with me face on it. Yeah. Love that. Would you buy a used car off these men? That's what I'm saying. Probably not, but um, yeah, t-shirt, t-shirts are, are vegan as well. So for anyone who's like me, it's a very good, very good thing. And we will have, I think it's Teespring we're gonna go through. Um, yeah. we need to, I'm going to make more products and give to you. She might do tote bags. There was really funny, uh, face masks where I just had off our like mouths. They look really, really funny. <laughs> I have no idea if anyone would ever want to buy them. So maybe oh. as a joke, we could get some sample ones and swap, but have a little fun, but yeah, mm. these will be coming up. I'm happy with these. I am. Um, I am. We'll maybe do a couple more color designs, especially for the t-shirt and yeah, we'll get them out hopefully in the next week because we're going to start getting very busy, ain't we, chap? Hey. Eh? Oh, aren't we just? Aren't we? Aren't we just? Yeah. Eh. Right. Let's I let's am. talk about our week then. Tell me about your week then, Mess. What have we been up to? Monday. Um. I. What did I do Monday? That's right. I got up. Sort of hung around for a bit, chilled. I um played some guitar. Just sort of my own personal excite, excitement, just playing guitar. Um, I then went through loads of songs. Well, I say loads. Yeah, we'll say, yeah, actually, I'm going to say loads. Loads of songs. Um, plenty of stuff. Ran through it. 
did this, did that. Uh, and then Tuesday, got up, went to work. And then when I walked outside, there was a certain Marty J waiting for me outside in his van, ringing me up. Let's go right here. I'm over here in a minute. Where are you? Where are you? So um, I got in the van. I know they say you shouldn't get into vehicles with strange men. Sometimes it can pay off. Hey, would you get into a van with this guy? So Would you drive this guy around? <laughs> Oh, this is going to be our bit now, isn't it? it really We're is just... Uh. Um, so, yeah. And then we did a band practice. Went on for a little while. It was, it was good. It was very good. It was very, it was very hot, wasn't it? Oh. Very hot. That was the moment. That was the moment he knew he'd messed up. <laughs> uh, when I put a shirt on and black skinny jeans, black trainers... Yeah, not not a good plan. Not a good plan. But it was cool. It was rocking. Back into it. Let's go. Let's have it. Let's have you. Yeah, big old wee. <laughs> um, yeah, really, really um, uh, cathartic in a way. Because hmm. uh, it's like all this time has been spent doing nothing. And now, praising God, hoping it all. We can uh, we can start getting back on it. Uh, so did the practice. Then you had choir. You were my Marty J was my ride home. Uh, true, true. We had a, so, we had a good old laugh, and you were playing me a lot of metal, newer metal that I hadn't really heard of. Oh yeah, playlist your metal that doth butter your parsnips. That has been mentioned on this uh, podcast before, but had a lot of bangers in there. I was intrigued. I need to get some artists from that off of you. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I'm. Since joining um, this uh, new metal band that I'm in, I've been inspired to um, to go and check out loads of new stuff, um, get get involved with it, you know. Because I mean, I, I, there's nothing wrong with any of the bands I listen to. Any of the metal bands, they tend to be much older. Uh, some of them aren't about it anymore, you know. That sort of that sort of age we're talking about, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but. It's also a good thing to, you know, spread your influence as wide as you can. It's like you were saying a couple of months ago or weeks ago or however long ago. All the days are going at the moment. All males in the one. Um, but you you were talking about how your knowledge of old music was really, like, big. <clears throat> and then the knowledge that you have of new music was a bit of a blind spot. So you wanted to go and check that out. And that's kind of how I felt. Um, so I was listening to what I assume to be new bands. Uh, a lot of them are, have still been around for a, a, quite a while. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's um, it's a nice playlist, actually. We should link it at some point. Metal that doth butter parsnips. Let's put it at the bottom of this one. Let's put it at the bottom yeah. of this one. Yeah, let's do it. I, I'd love people to check it out. And there's, there's a bit of everything in there. Um, bit of everything: Pantera, Gojira, Mastodon, Lamb of God, La Sugar, Killswitch Engage, Unearth. There's a bit of everything. Um, metal, that is. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh! Sammy Walton. He's been an avid watcher, avid mm. listener, and avid responder. Yes, love that. He is finally signed up to the 50 ways patreon and we're still yeah. trying to think of names to to call everybody you know been thinking idiots 
um, scumbags, gullible idiots. That's a really good one. The gullibles. Um, Cause you want to pay for this. Hey, that's too yammering along, but Hey, Hey, we're joking. So Walton, we love that you signed up. Thank you very, very much. Is he a legend? He's a legend. There we go. Oh, he's a legend. And uh, actually, following on that point, he sent me a message um, about last week's podcast. And I'm rubbish and terrible and haven't replied yet. So, Sam, if you're listening, your reply's coming, kid. My life is just busy at the moment. Please don't judge me. I'll give you a cuddle if you want. A nice cuddle and a kiss. Come down to Bristol. I'll give you a cuddle and a kiss. No, No drinking. That's fine. Not even a coffee. You have to, it's just cuddle and kiss now. Just a cuddle and a kiss. But that's what's for very special yeah. people who I really, really love. Okay. So not me. Perf, do you want a cuddle and a kiss? Or... Oh, so anyway, um, Walton, yeah, he sent me a comment. Maybe it's the same one he sent you, but I'm going to read it now and we can respond to him. Um, this is what he sent. So this is about last week's podcast. He said, she might have looked into it yourself, but to save you the time, Logan Paul's only other boxing match was versus KSI. interestingly interestingly, a YouTuber turned chart-topping rapper, which he lost. The main reason for the fight with Mayweather was purely financial gain for both men. Logan was only getting 10% of streaming revenue, but Mayweather was reportedly getting 50% plus some insane amount for simply agreeing. In a press conference, he even agreed it was maybe tarnishing his legacy, but he goes on to say legacy doesn't feed his family, which I get, but but I don't think they're at risk of starving based on previous earnings. Very true. Very, yeah. very true. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with the Walton. I didn't know that. That's why I didn't know. I didn't know Logan Paul had a fight before. Um, and yeah, I was chatting to my friend Turkey, who, again, loving patron, who had his boxing match on Saturday, who won. And it was such a good fight. I was so proud for him. He did really well. It was really nice to see. What was good was that the other guy would go to hit him. And every time Turkey was very, um, I can't think of the word, but like precise. He just, it was the same duck and move, like circular movement every time he sim. He was so in control. His footwork was great. Um, I watched it with my friend Ollie and his girlfriend, his lovely house. And oh, it was just great. I, see, I seen Turkey the day after and it was like, he was so happy. So we're hyped. We're going to dedicate this episode to Dan Turkstar Murphy, Bantamweight champion of the world. All right. Let's go, baby. Did he do any Hadoukens? They, they were banned, unfortunately. Yeah, he's going to do some some like uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, like, you know, when you press down and B and you're like, ring, 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 and you go like that. He's going to do that, loop the loops, but yeah. he couldn't get the loop the loops in. And... Pick, up, pick up all the rings? Yeah, he picked up all the rings, yeah. and then he went for the Mike Tyson knockout, like, double tap A, but... Um, so, Anyways. on the subject of Mr. Sam Walton, the message he sent me was, how did you not know he did this? And it is a link to Bruce Willis doing Under the Boardwalk. Uh, from top of the top, top of the pops, 1987. I'll tell you why I didn't know, Mr. Walton. I'll tell you right now. Um, Mez reacts. I, <laughs> I like good music. No, I'm joking. Um, I just didn't, to be honest. I mean, I, I think everyone has gaps um, in in sort of like their, their musical knowledge, you know, Um if you if you ask our our mag's mum about like A and B listers, she'd probably start talking about Rick Wakeman, um, which you know, great musician, amazing talent, some fantastic albums. I wouldn't really call him A or B list though. 
Um, nothing against the man. Nothing against the man. Um, and I'm kind of the same in a lot of ways, except I, I like to try and keep covering. I like to try and show interest in newer stuff, you know? Um, I found it hilarious because I was looking through a, a bag of my CDs and, like, the top one was Status Quo, an album they released in 2014. The one underneath was 444 <laughs> by um, uh, Jay-Z. Yeah, I found that very funny. I was just like, that's very, that's universes apart there. Yeah. Uh, very, very far apart. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, like, I, I just guess it wasn't part of the, uh, the musical knowledge I have. Uh, but now I do know it's there. I can I can imagine it's quite an interesting thing. <clears throat> Obviously, last week was our uh, non-musician album, so I firmly enjoyed that. I really uh, enjoyed so. it. Really enjoyed it. But yeah, do do keep the comments coming in. Keep them. Keep messaging us. Um, if on on Patreon or on YouTube or whatever you feel like. Really, we're both on Instagram. How do you get? How do you get there, Mez? What's the addresses? Go on, you do the little spiel because you're better than me. I am better than you, but that's beside the point. Go on. So we have Patreon. We are known as Fifty Ways Podcast. I'm not telling you how to spell it because you will know how. Um, Five Zero Ways Podcast, and we are on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts. Um, I've already said YouTube, but I'm going to count it again. And I've already said Facebook, but I'm going to count that again. we're on all of those good good stuff, social media, stuff like that. Um, me and Marv also have separate accounts um, as our own little music projects or personal profiles. Marv's is Afraloon. That is A-F-R-A-L-U-N-E. That is for his solo project, which is absolutely fantastic. That's also on Spotify and Facebook and YouTube. I would firmly recommend checking that out. Um, I am on Instagram and facebook and i am technically on spotify because you may well be listening to my voice on spotify right now that's true um, but I, I do feature on a few of afroloon's tracks my instagram is james underscore merit m-e-r-r-e-t underscore guitar um and that is the same on facebook so i haven't posted in a little while but that's because i've been stupendously busy uh so do forgive me if you do follow me and you're keen to hear me play or see what I'm doing, see what I'm up to. There are some new things coming um, quite soon as well. Uh, I'm very, very hyped upon. I'm not going to give you any any sort of insignia. You have to wait. Um, and that's fine. That's just the way it is, baby. Things will never be the same. <laughs> but yeah. Nice. Yeah, you enjoyed that. But yeah, so um, do follow us. Do send us your suggestions. Do become a Patreon. We have a basic tier. Three pounds a month, you get extra content from both of us individually and you get uncut episodes, uh, uncut videos. If you could see me, hello, good evening, afternoon, morning, night. There you go. Any time of day. Any time of day or night, you can listen to this gruff Bristolian voice. Um, But yes, so... Marv, 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 Marv. What are we doing today, me old rock and roll? Oh, lads, lads. We are doing episode two of our Because It series. And I love this band. 
I love this band. A lot of people hate this band. A lot of people yeah. despise this band. They yeah. were the biggest band in the world, I reckon, between about 1999 to about 2003. God. They were huge. God. And yeah, it's Limp Biscuit. It is Limp to the Biscuit. Now, the name Limp Biscuit, Fred Durst, who's the uh, lead singer and rapper. Indeed. Um, he chose that name because he wanted the name that people wouldn't like. So even off the bat, he was like, I want one that people are going to hate. And, you know, Limp Bizkit, maybe not hard to derive where that might come from. Obviously, we have some, we do have a younger viewer, I'm going to say, under 18. Um, and we do try to keep this a family show. You know, we might drop the old F-bomb here or go a little bit crude or crass, but you know, you That's know. Rock and roll, do you know what exactly, I mean? Exactly, exactly. But we could be worse. We could be a lot. Yeah. So Limp Biscuit, we're going to keep that in the air for now. People who know what that might derive from, don't do it. But I noticed that Merritt's eating digestives. I was. And I think what's happened is all this week where he's been listening to Limp Biscuit, I think he's subconsciously gone... I want some biscuits. I want some digestives. And I'm annoyed that they don't do Wes Borland bourbon creams. That should be a thing. That should be. I, do you know what? What's fantastic about that is Wes Borland is absolutely class. What a musician. Also, completely met like weird, weird. And that just adds to it for me. And I love bourbons. Wes, come down to Bristol. I'll get the coffee machine on. You can keep your mask on. I'm fine with that. Um, no secrets. Get it, get it cracking. I can see it already. Get them in. Get them in Poundland. One pound pack of thirty-six. <clears throat> Always good. I love, anyway. I love. How big is this pack? <laughs> it's got to be done. It's got to be done because you're dunking them all the time. You know what I'm saying? And they're wow. going to go limp, but they got to be structural integrity is important for a biscuit. Do you, reckon, do you reckon as you open the packet, we could have a cup of tea where you at? Yeah, I reckon that. I reckon that'd be good. Yeah. Or keep dunking, 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 dunking. Uh, uh, that'd be good. Yeah. But yes. that's going to cost like 80 quid then for a pack of four. We ain't yeah, doing that. That ain't going to be cheap. We ain't, we ain't doing that. So, you know, the goatee, the red cap, the wrapping, brilliant. You know, that's what you like. That's an extras quote. That's an extras quote. We're we're leaping on a little bit, right? We're leaping on a little bit. I like that. I like that. So yes, Limp Biscuit. So before before we go any further, the year 1999, I was five years old. You? No, I wasn't. I was six years old. No, I was five years old. You were definitely five. Yeah, yeah, you were a thousand percent five years old. I, I was, was five, I was I was ten years old, nine to ten years old. I was bloody hell, mate. I was five years old. My world was SpongeBob SquarePants, Cartoon Network, and um I read a school report. I don't know if I was five at the time. I think I was a little bit older, but basically, yeah, I definitely was a little bit older. <laughs> but How was, old are you? Four, five, ninety-eight? <laughs> you were born in 1994, right? Yes, I was. Just do the math. I know that, Malcolm. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah. Oh, but this I, podcast gone to the dogs, isn't it? It really has, mate. It really. I think we should. I think we should give it up. No, 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 now. Um. So I was five, and um, 
the world of music had not yet been open to me. Um, you know, it's, um, yeah, I'm actually really struggling to think about that right now. I can't, like, 22 years ago, that is, man. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I don't have, like, a memory of being five, like, at all. Um, if I had a memory and someone went, oh, yeah, you were five then, James, I'd be like, okay. But I have no memory of it. However, I think if you'd have exposed little Jimmy Merritt, five years old, to Limp Biscuit, he might be a different person to what he is now. <laughs> <laughs> I dread to think. I dread to think if you heard Nookie and break stuff at five years old. That would be silly. That would be silly. Uh, as I said, I don't, as far as I'm aware, I don't think I had gone into music yet. I don't really think I was aware of it. You know? it's, it's, it's always been there, but there's a point where you become aware of it, isn't there? And you're like, this is, this is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm not having that memory right now. It's just a case of um one day I heard Shaggy and status quo and there you go. There you go. I don't I don't I think that's the a very unique combination. I don't know a lot oh, of people yeah. that have got into Shaggy and status quo. Exactly. The, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Shaggy shouldn't have uh done a done a collaboration with Sting. He should have done one with status quo. And then all my childhood dreams would become reality. Get it uh, done. Hashtag him now. Tweet him. <laughs> but yeah, so Limp Bizkit. Um, when I grew up, when I got older, and I got into heavier stuff, heavier music, metal, eventually, it's, um, I mean, you can already kind of hazard a guess as to my attitude towards them when I tell you at 16, I was pumping Master of Puppets and nothing else. Nothing else. Bit of Iron Maiden, you know. Because the um, mainly the people who got me into metal were older. You know, they were, they were older than my age range. So I was listening to Slayer, Metallica. We've had this chat. And as the years went on, when I got to college, obviously I was aware of Limp Bizkit from school. My attitude was basically the same of that as a devout Christian parent in the south of the US towards Limp Bizkit. It could be comparably so. Um, extremely anti them because, you know, Fred Durst is Fred Durst and he's horrible. He's a horrible, man. Yeah, no, he's awful. And he can't he can't sing, he can't rap, he's terrible, uh, he's not useful. Um, it's it's imitation metal. Imitation metal is fake, it's for posers. Um, it's almost like it ran so deep I was above it. Do you know what I mean? I'm I don't listen to that sort of I mean, no riffraff, please. The kind um, of metal, metal snobbery is like I, what I would like absolutely, to call it. Yeah. Absolutely. Elitism. That's what it is. And I hate the fact that that was ever in me. Um, it's ridiculous, ridiculous to hate a band that you know nothing about. Because I didn't. I didn't know anything about them. I, I'd heard Rolling. And by heard it, I mean I'd heard the chorus. And that was it. Um, obviously... During ski season, we we played it. What a banger! 
good gracious. Oh, it, it went off. It went off. Oh. But unfortunately, uh, people know the first verse. They know the first chorus. And you get to the uh, second verse. And that's when the hardcore Limp Biscuit fans seem to not be there. They weed themselves out at that point. But um, no, so very, very anti Limp Biscuit. Very anti Limp Biscuit. But I liked corn. So, I mean, I wouldn't tear those two bands too far apart from each other, to be honest with you. Um, and I also liked Eminem. So, I mean, it's not like the rap thing was a terrible thing, you know? I mean, it's a very classic thing to hate rap metal. A very classic thing. That, oh, no, they should stick to stick to your own. Do this, do that. It's, um, I don't believe that. If you can make it work, then do it. Absolutely do it. Push the boundaries. Make it happen. But, yeah, and... There is one thing that sticks in my mind throughout this whole experience, Marv, and that is I want to go back in time, go up to 16, 17-year-old Mez and shake him because he needs to he needs to sort himself out, like seriously. Um, so much missed out on. So much missed out on. That f- oh, man, that first record, it, it, it blew me apart. I was like, this is absolutely class. Um, every single track seemed to have a hook in it. I was like, this is grand. The riffs, the production, the backbeat. Brilliant. (laughs) Didn't even realise I did that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, um, I'm very disappointed that I didn't get into them sooner. Very disappointed. Um, You did now. You did now. I I more or less have now, yeah. The only thing I have really is that, um, I mean, we can talk about this anyway, but Fred Durst is an extremely, um, and words aren't coming to me today. That's something else for you, Ruth, so be aware of Do you want me to back you up? I can back you up. <clears throat> no, it's all right. It's coming to me. It's coming you got to me. It? Okay, okay. He's an extremely controversial human being. Extremely. Um, and it's, um, it's so unapologetic so unapologetic he doesn't care and i respect that i respect that you know there there, there's elements of he doesn't take himself too seriously but then there's kind of a bit where he kind of does and then it kind of comes back around and it's uh, i don't know i think he's quite a complex human being to be honest with you i think there's a lot more there than meets the eye it's easy to see him on like top 10 worst guitarist when he's like trying to play guitar and there's, you must have seen that really expensive PRS and he can't play it. And he's like trying to sing and play it. And it's awful. Um, I, I just think a lot of people see him as a vehicle to be laughed at. Um, but a, I jo- don't... a joke, a laughing yeah. stock. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's just, he's, he's the naughty kid in class. He's the class clown that doesn't know when to shut his mouth. But man, Go and listen to them albums. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So again, to further on your point, I, I think he's a very polarizing figure. I think he's one of the main reasons why people hate Limp Biscuit for never even listening to them, Absolutely. and the 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 biggest stumbling block to get over. So the yeah. way we kind of structured these, again, we're going to get into these. <clears throat> we talk about our history, and then we're going to talk about the things that maybe the problems that we've encountered. We talk about like their musical range maybe the production, uh, things we think they do well, things we've, problems we've encountered, uh, like the football fan perspective. So like 
if we had full control over what we wanted Limp Biscuit to sound like, what would we do? And then we'll do like our top five and worst five Limp Biscuit songs. Um, but yes, I think it's going to be very interesting. So my history of Limp Biscuit is di- completely different to yours because I was there when it all started happening. So yeah. in 1999, but this is more about, I would say 2001 for me, I was 12 years old um, and skateboarding had just been introduced to me through the Murphy twins. And when I say I was obsessed with it, I was obsessed with skateboarding. It no. completely took over my life. Um, stopped playing football, didn't care about school, didn't care about anything else. Girls, they still stank. I was just skateboarding all the time, so all the time, all the time. Well, you know, they stink, but sometimes they stink nicely. You know what I'm saying? That juxtaposition. Yeah, no, I, I like that. That's a good. nice kind of stink. Yeah. So it became my obsession for all of my teenage and adult life was just skateboarding, 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 skateboarding all the time. Um, practice a few GCSEs. Sorry, mum. I've got to try and like kick fit this three set at the Busted Club, right? That has no run up and like I can do one push really quick. I've got to nail that because that'd be the good in life, right? Yeah. Um, do well on your exam in your RE one. Nah, sorry, mum. What I did was is I wrote the same answer to every question. Uh, which was some Christians believe that some Christians don't. And then I spent the last 45 minutes replaying the cliche skate video, Bon Appetit in my head, um, imagining the tricks and singing along to the soundtrack all the way through because I thought that was a useful, um, you know, thing of my time. So, you know, I could go on and on and on and on. And on. Um, but I'd purchased, so then it's time, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. That was my entry into skateboarding i'd watched the x games i think maybe 98 i remember watching after cartoon network um nitro would come on wcw nitro oh man and then you would have i remember watching x games around this time so i remember i think seeing bob burnquist skate but very vague but tony Hawk's pro skater 2 was our generation we got into that i got it on the pc played that a lot then i eventually got it onto ps1 now what i would do around this time because obviously the limp you know, chocolate starfish was big. I was in year seven um, and significant other. I also got as well. Um, I would play Tony Watts Pro Skater 2 on the PS1. I'd mute it on the TV and I'd play albums. And wow. a lot of the time, Limp Biscuit would be on there. It'd be Papa Roach, Puddle and Mud, Limp Biscuit. It'd just be all those bands, Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory. Um, so when I was listening to all of these albums, all I could picture was like, a very pixelated like Chad Musker falling over or like doing a 720 kickflip stalefish, which is like that's the only way only time you're ever going to see Chad Musker do that trick by the way is a <laughs> 720 stalefish. he's more of a front side flip handrail kind of guy but yeah whatever whatever but that's what I specific like I mean a vivid memory of like Tony was supposed to get a two bang he's the exact spot the exact level I was on yeah so it was great uh, I remember getting three dollar bill with my uncle Terry and I also got the next episode, Dr. Dre single. I played it on a little boombox. And I can't remember like actually hearing the music of Limp Biscuit, but I remember sat down trying to remember the whole rap all the way through of the next episode. And I never got it. It was too hard for me to like remember it all. So that nice. was banging. It's weird to think that I was around and aware of music when that came out. Yeah. Whereas I guess you found that song later in life. Yeah, you know, like I was around before yeah. that and then after that. Yeah, definitely. You you could you can say that absolutely because it's um well for one it's the truth. Um, 
for two. It's, it is weird to think about, but yes, I was alive when that was released, but it wasn't wasn't in my universe, wasn't in my world at that point. Yeah, um, absolute banger. Um, Stone Cold banger. Just a classic. You can't beat it. But it's yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I can't even plead like, oh, what a stupid little idiot, because I was five. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or six or seven or whatever you want. <laughs> whatever age you were, apparently. Who knows, mate? Who bloody knows? So, uh, yeah. so, yes, I remember when Rolling, the single Rolling came out on TV. The video was very big and huge. And I remember dancing to it in the living room. And right. I, was just, I remember this one time, my, like I'm like proper, just like all doing all, trying to do all the things. And then my mum walking in and I vividly remember getting really embarrassed looking to the right so i'm looking at this our sofa i could still feel that now every time like it's really weird um i remember coming back from spain on a year seven trip and the coach was really wet and rainy um and i had copied it from cd to cassette and i was listening to i remember listening to like it would be okay boiler hold on the kind of last stages of chocolate starfish um so i vividly remember that kind of thing so quite tied in there but you know 2003, 2004, um, you know, this is all tied in. I remember getting the Biscuit hoodie down the, down the market at Trowbridge, significant other one. Um, so it's all very tied into like my love of skateboarding that was burgeoning up. But then about 2003, 2004, when I started getting into skate videos more and going, this is, I like this song. What is it? My mom's like, well, we got that there. Got that on the album. <clears throat> oh, Pink Floyd. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, Dinosaur Jr. All these other things. And then suddenly... The Limp Biscuit just kind of faded because no one was using Limp Biscuit in skate videos. No one was watching skate videos. So instead of now dubbing Limp Biscuit onto a tape cassette, I'm dubbing the essential Bob Dylan and listen to that in lunch because uh, Jane, Jamie Fortune's part in Digital's Sane had Hurricane and I was obsessed with the song. I was like, this is the best song ever. Um, so that's what I did. And then the Limp Biscuit kind of faded. And I then didn't buy their 2003 effort, Results May Vary, when it came out. I only listened to that later in life. And then I, I didn't listen to them until, yeah, later on. So I was a fan up until Chocolate Starfish and like that album. And then because Skateboard took over, that was it. That was it. Um, but they were one of my favorite bands. They really were. And <clears throat> I have such a deep love for them i just have to because i guess with that whole like we were talking about our childhood albums they were really integrated in with that this whole new metal scene rap metal scene rap rock of the early 2000s was just i was in the right place at the right time skateboarding new metal it was just so connected pop punk it was all there um and i think a lot of people would have a very similar experience and that limp biscuit is very it brings back a very nostalgic childhood memory, um, which I think they they just are today. Unfortunately, yeah. I think they are trapped by nostalgia and we'll get into the, the problems we've encountered. Um, but yes, they have five albums and they have one EP. So just as a little little uh, history thing. So they got $3 bill, y'all, 1997. Significant other, 1999. Chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water. Um, explain to me that. 2000, so that was a year in between, very, very quick. Results may vary, 2003. Then they did The Unquestionable Truth Part 1 EP, 2005. Uh, and then Gold Cobra came out, 2011. Now, they do have an upcoming sixth album, 
called the Stampy that are disco elephants, but they've been working on that since 2012. I've read varying accounts of like, it's abandoned. It's kind of there. Fred Durst is not happy with this. I'm happy with this. And they're just kind of trundling along. So who knows if it'll ever come out? No idea. No idea. Nope. Um, so yeah, Mez, do you want to, do you want to talk about what they do? Well, have you got any points about what you think they do well, because I think we've got one big one we can talk about. So, yes, I, I, I do have notes, indeed. Of course I have notes, Mark. Mm-hmm. Of course I have notes. What they do well, so to my mind, um, there is a hell of a lot they do do well. One of them being covering George Michael. I had no idea that existed. Not a what until until you did prep for this until this oh yeah. wow that's yeah. amazing Genuinely. that's amazing I saw faith on the track list and I was like oh this, <laughs> this this could be good George Michael couldn't have been further from my mind genuinely <laughs> and then I was sat there I was sort of doing something I think I was doing something on on my pedal or something he, he's eating that. digestives you're eating digestives come he on kid. Digestive. Yeah, yeah, yeah and uh, where's Borland Borland Greens um. <laughs> And I heard that, and I was like, oh, that's a cool rhythm. Ha. <laughs> um, and then he did the, oh, well, I guess it could be nice. I was like, this is, this is faith. Okay. But, so, it's clearly not meant to be taken seriously. Yes. But they, they do it as themselves. As themselves, and it is absolutely stonking. It's great. It sounds like a Limp Biscuit song. This is what I mean. It's like it's not taking itself too seriously. And if you can make it sound like you, those are two of the most essential things about doing a cover, I think. Absolutely. So yeah, their sound is there from the start. That is something that I think they do extremely well. They know themselves. They know how they sound. They know how they want to sound. And it's great. If I'm honest, it is absolutely great. I think it's a very distinct sound, you know, turned off snare, very sort of big. This is something actually, very big up and down dynamic shifts. Yes. Um, And I don't, and this is what I picked up, not in the traditional nirvana sense no where you go loud chorus soft verse and it's kind of this they do have elements of that but i it feel is. like they they treat the whole song like like a wave yes yeah. yes and that is I, I don't know it just works it just works um whether it's the arrangement of it whether it's the production of it it just works and I don't know, sometimes in certain scenarios, that can be a difficult thing to pull off. Um, as anyone who has listened to Limp Biscuit knows, um, all of them, but in particular to my mind, one that stuck out, Wes Borland, he has a very big sound. Lots of layers, lots of like deep stuff. It's absolute class, absolute class. So back on the not taking themselves too seriously, as you've already mentioned, the 
first album is called Three Dollar Bill, y'all. It is. And, and it's, got a, no, it's got a dollar sign. You get him up. Ask a boy. Not it's got a really cool back cover as well. I was going to say, it's not... That is really cool. Did Wes Borland do that? I think Fred Durst did the artwork for this one. I would, I would argue this is their best artwork. I would, I would argue that. Also yeah. produced, produced by Ross Robinson, um, who produced Slipknot and yes. probably bands of that ilk, which is why I think, I have a theory that I think that's why you like this a lot. It has that very like first couple of albums Slipknot vibe really yes. doesn't it? it's very very connected oh, oh absolutely absolutely so um we will get into that by the way we will absolutely get into that we will um, you keep so, talking lad i'll just do this yeah, yeah so obviously as we mentioned like the name limp biscuit is already throwing up some warning signs and i'm not going to explain anything i'm just saying it's throwing up some warning signs i think i might have already said this but they're very very good at just being themselves um Listening to the discography, I there wasn't a point where I was like, that is insanely different. I mean, one or two songs, but never an album. I, I, I don't think I ever went once. Like, that is disastrously different to what I heard previously, you know? Um, the um, I actually do just want to talk about albums. <laughs> it's quite funny. I keep going to my notes and go in to talk about albums. Yeah. Um, which is good because this is an albums podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, that's what I think anyway. They're just very, very good at being controversial. Well, Fred Durst is anyway. Very good at being themselves. Very good at sort of, yeah, being Limp Biscuit. I mean, if I were in a band and someone said, you're very good at being yourselves, I'd be happy with that because that's what you want to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, do, what what do you think, Mark? Do you have anything further to add to that? I think you're right. I think out of the gate, they were fully formed. They weren't necessarily refined to their best potential, which I think their golden era is definitely significant other and chocolate starfish. So 99 to about... Well, two, 99, 2000, but that's 2002, I would say, 2001. Yeah. 2001, because that's when Wes left for the second time, I believe. Um, yeah, that is the one of the best comments you can have is like, you have a sound. This sounds like you. Oh, you sound like Limp Biscuit. Like if someone else is talking about another band, like that's great. It's that's that's such a good badge of honor because it just denote it just denotes or connotes or it just implies that. You've, you've created something a little bit unique and a little bit of a signature sound, which yeah. let's segue on to my main point, the guitar playing of Wes Borland and his unique and catchy part, parts. Like yeah. he is a, Wes Borland's a huge part of why Limp Biscuits sound like they do. Fred yes. Durst is a, is a huge reason for why they are who they are, but Wes Borland is, is their sound. Like it's, un, it's undeniable. Um, he's a fantastic part writer. He, he really is. I think that is his main strength. Yes. Um, he is very, he is very proficient on the instrument. He's not a shredder. He's not what I would say, someone who's to that, like an eighties total shredding knows every single note, every single scale that's imaginable, but he's a fantastic part writer and he has very unorthodox approaches and he has unorthodox guitars to match. So for something like Nookie, 
which is their second single, I believe, um, off of Significant Other 999. He's using like a four string custom guitar. So the tuning is like F sharp, F sharp, B and E. Um, so for people that don't play guitar, the B and the E string at the bottom, which is the higher notes, that's usually on a traditional six string guitar, which is behind me there on those racks. Um, other guitars are available. And he'd have a low F sharp, which is kind of like a detuned thing. Uh, and he'd have a bass string as the lowest one. So, you know, already then you're set, you set yourself up. You're not on a normal six string guitar, which means you're going to play different things on it, which means you should be able to play more unique uh, parts like that, that you want to play that sound like you. Um, he's also used seven string guitars tuned to C sharp standard. Um which apparently was a big influence for Deftones. I believe that. Yeah, so, so Stephen Carper from Deftones, the guitarist, was like, I'm going to nick what Wes Borland's doing. That'd be really cool. I, I believe that. Yeah. And he does this whammy bar technique as well. That Very cool. Um, I guess from my knowledge that he either puts the whammy bar um, back so it locks and then plays in that and kind of hits it. Uh, it gives us kind of like digitally glitchy, wobbly sound. And you're, I, I... you're talking about fluttering fluttering okay it's got a it's got a name it's got a name it's uh fluttering in fact i might even show you uh a little a little bit of it i mean if you if you want to show the people show the peoples i'd, so, have, to, I'd have to find my uh my whammy bar well you you keep going you keep going so yeah Wes Borden, he's written some like he's written some downright pumping riffs um, in the traditional kind of new metal kind of rock guitar sense. I'd say Break Stuff is the purest example of this. I think that's the purest um, kind of new metal-y riff that he's ever written. Um, it's bulky, it's heavy, it's dissonant, and people freak out. Like, it's you hear the first two notes, and it's like people know exactly what's going on. I think that's something which every band or every artist wants to strive to the second i start playing people lose their minds because yeah. they know exactly what song's going on so merit's gonna show us because yeah. Wesborn also plays a charvel guitar to some points he's gonna yeah. show us this whammy bar flutter trick go on explain so it. i'm gonna i'm gonna bring you down this is we've uh, gone we've gone mobile so he often uses tremolos like this this is what you call floyd rose just saying for our uh, non-musician patrons or people watch. <laughs> so, yes, basically, we're talking about fluttering. So what I'll do is I'll have a note, and you can do it this way. You can also do it that way. I prefer to do it this way. I think Wes does it the other way, right? Yes, I believe so. I prefer to do it this way. So what happens is... You pick a note. Can you hear that, Marv? Is that all right? I mean, it's it's going in and out, but it doesn't matter. We can we. You can... don't have to hear the sound of stuff. You just need to see what I'm doing. So you you play the note, and then you you basically hit the whammy bar down, and it gives it a real. It's like like I said, it's called fluttering. So it's like so that makes it go down in pitch very very quickly, right? Yeah, and it's also obviously the fact that when I'm hitting it down, it will go down on the bridge as well. And when you move it, even the slightest amount, the bridge moves. So for that reason, when it, what, what goes down must come back up. And because you've hit it quick, it's going to spring back up really quickly, giving it a sort of warbly effect where the bridge is settling itself again. Fluttering. 
There you go. As explained by James Merritt, wearing the classic vegan black 50 ways t-shirt available soon when we've got a price and we've got a website and we've actually put it onto the thing and all that also wearing his pajamas no 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 these are my these are my chill trousers ah okay okay i'm a big fan i'm a big fan of mental clothing um can't say that these days but yes so i i'm gonna actually have a little bit of not necessarily a disagreement with you but I am going to slightly disagree when you say he's not much of a shredder. Um, I think we haven't seen the full extent of what Wes can play. Um, what I noticed when he was, when you've got some of these riffs, is they're simple, but they are super effective. And that, that hits me so hard as someone who knows exactly what they're doing. Um, and can play pretty much whatever they want, but they opt for the simple stuff because, as you said, break stuff. Don't don't it's recognizable. Those two intervals put together on distorted guitar, you hear it, you go, break stuff. You know exactly what's coming. And I think, um, I think Wes Borland is probably an absolute monster. When it comes to playing guitar, it's just the fact of maybe he just hasn't flexed his chops. I could I could agree with you. I could agree yes. with you. Um, I think generally as well, you know, people in bands, but maybe just not not say traditional rock bands. Like apart from like say, actually no, I'm, I was going to say apart from Shredders, but I think this goes for everybody that you know, hearing someone on record, even then seeing someone live they're still not at their 100% potential of what you can actually see them play. You okay. want to see people in their practice rooms or just lounging about or even at a rehearsal, you know, that's yeah. when you really see, cause there's no pressure to, to perform. Your anxiety is lower. Um, you're not, you're not, you know, held back by the, the structures of songs or playing this part, or playing that part or bouncing off other people. It's very, very interesting. You no, know, someone like Steve Vai or Joe Satriani and Paul Gilbert, all these super shredders, it'd be interesting to see because they're amazing anyway. Live is like oh, mind blowing. Incredible. It'd be interesting to see what they're like without the cameras and without the stage. I think that goes for everybody, you know. Um, so I do agree with you on that, but I still think that I'd never put Wes Borland in the shredder category. He's not that guitar player. Uh, I think he's just very inventive. I think he plays the right notes at the right time, and. I think he's a less is more player. Probably, yeah. That's that's what I think he is. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, <laughs> this is this is why we have the podcast. This is why we have these discussions because without Wes Borland in the room, we we aren't going to know exactly, are we? So that is why we do what most musicians would like us to do, and that is we not judge, but we we take from their art and we discuss it from there. Um, I mean, the, the listening to the guitar, we talked about this before as well. There's a big difference. Um, two guys, two completely different guys, could play exactly the same riff. One not as technically gifted, one very, very much technically gifted. You can hear the difference. Um, and it's not, when I say technically gifted, I don't mean someone who can play really fast, stupid lines. I mean, someone who has great feel, someone who really feels the instrument. 
you can hear the difference a country mile off. And I'm telling you now, West Borland is is a monster. I think I really, really appreciate his guitar playing. Um, as you said, he's definitely a parks guy. He's definitely um, well-versed in the guitar. Absolutely. He, he knows his fretboard. He knows how to write appropriate parts for appropriate songs, which to my mind is, is pretty, pretty good for late 90s um, because they're, they're fusing, obviously, new metal and rap. Um, I've seen it called rap core um, mm. as well. Uh, so he's, he's obviously, you know, I'd say that's quite a feat for still two relatively new genres being put together um, and making that whole rap metal thing, um, which again was still very, very new. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say Limp Biscuit was the first ones to do this because I don't think they were, were they? I think it's hard to pinpoint. A lot of people go to Deftones for the start of new metal and the start of kind of, of that. Thing. but like the thing is with deftones is that they weren't really a rap band this is this is again another point of contention so if you look at someone like slipknot lincoln park deftones and limp biscuit so i'm going to take deftones off the table because i don't think rapping is like a main feature of what they do they just have fast lyrics sometimes yeah, yeah. um especially around what, what around the fur and that era which i don't really think it had there um, Slipknot had fast rapping parts or like um, bits of bits of phrases, vocal phrases, which were just like choppy and definitely were closer to rapping than they were singing. Yes. But it was like a faint part of their overall sound. It wasn't like Limp Bizkit where there'd be whole rock metal songs that they were playing with rapping over the top. No. Then you get to Linkin Park where... If you look at something like In The End, Mike Shinoda, who does the rapping and Chester does the singing, Mike Shinoda raps all those verses, but it's more crafted like a, a traditional pop rock melody. So he's kind of matching the pitches with the song. So as much as he, as he is rapping, and that's, that's the closest you get to Fred Durst, he's still thinking of a melodic arc that's weaving around the song. Now you go to Limp Bizkit and... Fred Durst might have certain little phrases that jump out that have a sort of pitch to them and a sort of kind of cadence to them, a vocal phrasing. But most of the time, he's not thinking a pitch. He's closer to like late 80s, early 90s rapping where pitch doesn't really matter. It's about the rhythms. So maybe if you base it around that, I think they probably were definitely the biggest, the most notable example. Maybe hesitate to say they're the first people to do it. But you just got to look at the Beastie Boys. Look at the Beastie yeah. Boys using, yeah. you know, Led Zeppelin rock guitar samples. And then something like Fight for Your Right is a very good, you look at Fight for Your Right and then you look at Nookie. Yeah. Like that, that's probably where it came from. So I think Limp Biscuit really out of their contemporaries, that's, yeah, they were doing like proper rapping over metal versus little rapping phrases or melodic rapping over. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. So fruitly. Um, it's uh, it's it's definitely definitely that. I mean, 
Yeah, I just think they do it so, so well. Um, my, my original point was going to be, seeing as they were, I'll, I'll say it, innovators, seeing as they were that, that that's a big ask, even for a musician as gifted as Wes Borden, um, to put together a, a song or a passage, a guitar part, any way you want to look at it, to put together something like that, so, um, under underneath like a, a metal themed part underneath a rap verse and to keep successfully doing it with dynamic changes going up and down that really fit really really like strike hard they're powerful they sound enormous enormous the dude knows how to layer mm. um it all fits in with the backbeat so, so well. The band are super tight, super tight. I love that. And then on, yeah, yeah, on top of all of that, I can't imagine Fred Durst is an easy guy to please. No. Again, we. I think we'll get into the problems we've encountered with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just making a point. As much as, like, we can segue till the cows come home. And then okay. fall asleep, and then go back out again, and come back again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, we got to, yeah. We're trying to have some structure, but I'm like itching to say those points because yes. that is again with Westbourne and him, like big run of contention. But oh, oh, definitely. definitely. Let's look. Let's look at Westbourne and singles. So let's get the singles and his guitar parts there because you only really need to scratch the surface a little bit to see how inventive he is. So counterfeit, which is their first single, right? So it yeah. gives you everything that you need for Olympus guitar part. Really, the delayed guitar part in this podcast favorite scale the phrygian dominant nice. love a phrygian dominant he's yeah. got a heavy power chord riff of harmonics doing the chad kroger major third that is what we're oh, now christen it um and then like a dj scratching effect in the verses it's not your typical guitarist's parts all in one song i can't really think of another guitar player that's done you know a delayed guitar part a heavy power chord riff of harmonics and then dj scratching all in one song which Sounds very basic written down, you know. Tom Morello is the first thing I would think of coming to that, but in the way Limp Biscuit would do it, I can't necessarily think of somebody. Um, but you know, it only gets better from here. Nookie, so that really primer sounding intro riff in the left channel, right? Like, really, really cool. It's this thing where he does it, sounds like he's doing the tapping thing, but it might be just kind of with the weird four string guitar that it sounds that way. Uh, the funky and odd sounding guitar line during the verses, which I never noticed to put headphones on, uh, slot some of the other instruments just right. Um, and it, and he also, what is good is that Limbiscuit usually like rage, they just jam on a certain key and it's around one chord, you know, yeah. one kind of uh, tone or center. They don't really do a lot of chord progressions. Um, that does start to creep in, but generally they're just like jam band. So what's nice is that Wes Borland can just explore all these tonal centers. And he, this is where I think he has that freedom and can just go, I can literally play whatever I want. And yes. it sounds great. Um, it'd be interesting. I really want to just sit down and watch him create a, create a part. Cause for me, I just can't imagine it. Where it must, where, where some of it must come from. Like, yeah. Yeah. He, I agree. I agree. It would be very, very interesting to watch that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rearranged. Apart from this instantly catchy bass line, which is, again, is amazing, uh, features more of his tapping style, uses a clean electric guitar, and it bases it around, you know, bouncing from kind of one static home note 
to accentuate the rhythms rather than the kind of the notes he's playing. Take a look around, which is the Mission Impossible 2 kind of theme song, or was you know, the unofficial theme for that. Features clean guitars for the first minute and a half of its runtime, and it shows how sparse he can be uh, whilst only playing the right notes for the part in the right channel. Yeah. Um, and it was also the first song I ever jammed with people. So I had a little band in school. Right. Uh, it was Dan Kelly on drums, Andrew Francis, who I believe probably played bass. And there was somebody else. I want to say it's Jamie Romain. But I was right. So in this little schoolroom, it's where I did my piano exams. And I have a Casio keyboard and I've set it onto the bass setting. Right. Bearing in mind, there's drums and a bass there. And I've turned this little keyboard all the way up. And I'm just going, I'm just playing the bass line. So do you think I could even hear myself? No, I contributed nothing to that at all. And it seemed like we just played the chorus of Take a Look Around for about an hour. So there you go. That was my first experience really with jamming. And I still need to apologize to Dan Kelly because I remember we were chatting and I think I went to say something or I went to hold the hi-hat or I accidentally pressed the thing and his finger got caught in the middle of the hi-hats. I remember being like, ah, like that. So Dan Kelly, if you're listening, I mean, slim chance, but he could be, you never know. You never know. Um, I apologize again for that. And you're a good drummer. You're a good drummer. It was a good time. So yes, rolling. Uh, Again, it shows that he can write a more traditional guitar riff. I think that's his most traditional rock guitar riff that he's ever written. Uh, Go on. You mentioned that. The actual intro riff for me is not that traditional. The and I think that's um, I actually think that's why it's called air raid vehicle. That's what I think. I think the chorus riff. I'll do that again, shall I? I think the chorus riff. The do no 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 no. I think that's really traditional, mm. but it's really refreshing to hear because up until that point, I don't think we hear him do anything that simple, do we? I mean, we must do. There must be somewhere, but... It's not necessarily it's the, the simplicity of it. It's more the fact that you think about, you know, he loves Metallica. He plays Master Puppets live yeah. uh, sometimes, yeah. you know, and they've played Killing in the Name of, which I... I, I don't like anyone playing that apart from Rage. Yeah, I mean, we've played it, but it's fun. Eh? It's fun. It's a fun song to play. I don't think we've ever heard him like go, do a, like a, a rock style kind of, it's in the minor scale really, isn't it? It's very like just minor scale. There's no like spicy exotic notes in there. Yeah. It does sound a little bit just traditional, but I would say not stock, just traditional no. and that you could go, I can hear Metallica playing that. Yeah, you can. I can play a normal rock band playing that. I think that's where I'm coming from. Especially if you if you listen to all the stuff before, where it's like that. I don't know where the reference points are. That's what it is. That's what the, that's what it is. I can hear the reference points in Rolling. I know what you're saying. I, I absolutely know what you're saying. I'm, I meant to say that myself, but the word "simple" came out. Um, yeah, it's very traditional, but it's it's so cool. Is so cool that even that chord progression on its own, yeah, you can tell it's it's an absolute pumper. Like for me, you know what I mean. The, those note choices and the and the rhythmic placement of it, it just feels like it would be a hit 
Yeah. Um, yeah and it's easy. It's easy to say that looking back and seeing seeing how big it made them. Um, I don't know. That's just what I think. I think even just listening to the chord progression on its own, that is something that may, you can just you can just tell with some of these things, can you? You listen to something and you go, I feel like that's going to be big. Um, I I think that Rolling as well. I think that was their only number one hit, like across. I think you're right. Actually. I think it was their biggest selling hit. Yeah, ever, and maybe that was a part to do with it because it was much more accessible. It like it's definitely the least quirky and the more most straight ahead, isn't mm. it? Would you agree? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can hear other people playing Rolling instead of Wes Borland. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. My generation that gives us the ball and whammy bar trick again when Fred does sing and do you know where you are, um, and also because it's got distortion too at this point but it also uses the Chon Krang in major third technology. Um, well, the Chon Kranger. There you go. Also featuring his riffiest part on a single in the bridge. It's very riffy, very it's choppy. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, then we get to My Way. Now, My Way has one of the most memorable standalone guitar parts and the one that sounds the most like him. If I, I remember that I listened to his, he's got a good solo album out. I think it's called Crystal Machete. And... There's a really good YouTube video of him playing, I want to say in China or Japan, he's playing at a, co- a coffee shop and he's in this looping thing, especially with the way his his clean guitar sound, which is a Roland JC120, very, very much him as well. Very much him as well, as much as the note choices that he chooses. Um, he uses six and he uses the CKM3T, which is now the Chad Kroger Major Third Technology, which... If Borland's not careful, I'm going to have to rename this to Borland Third because he uses it a lot too. You know, yes. I'm ragging on Chad here, ragging old Chaddy K-Boy, but I don't think it's just him that does it. I think Borland's doing it a lot. So we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah. I know we're probably going to end up talking about it anyway, but My Way was the song, um, the only song I really, really knew by Limp Biscuit for a long, long time. Um, I I think it's my favourite tune of theirs. I think. Um, I really, really like it. Everything on it is perfect. Everything on it is perfect. Um, the vocals, the vocal effects, um, what Wes does, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think the minimalistic parts and the space left, as you said, less is more. Um the sound of the drums, the drum part, and and my absolute favourite thing, my favourite bit is the last thing Fred shouts before the chorus because it's just, oh, I don't know how to explain it. It's like you've just put a big old, it's very sort of chill and happy, and then the backbeat comes in. Amazing. And you build in, you build in, you build in. You think there's no way this could be this big. There's no way it could. No way it could. I'm going to listen to Pantera in a minute and be like, this is the choice I should have made. <laughs> and then the chorus comes in and knocks you off your feet. It really oh, does. Lord, it's just so, there's so much to it. It feels like an ocean. It's so big and I'm blowing smoke, but I think it deserves it. I genuinely do. It's so big. It's so powerful. It hits like a steam train. And it's that is what people should aim for. You shouldn't be going, oh, yeah, that's fine. It's just so big and deep and, oh, it's, it's so 
that is one of my favorite things about being a musician the choice you have when it comes down to it and the amount like i said the amount of layering that borland must have had to have done and obviously the excellent production work as well because you can you can play guitar part after guitar part after guitar part just as i'm saying sounding really loud and crass and crude and a bit rubbish but the job on my way oh my lord i mean if you if you if you compared the sounds the actual guitar sounds uh to a lot of modern modern day i hate that phrase but more sort of more recent metal albums the guitar sounds you could argue they are a little bit dated there's a bit of a mid scoop there's a there's a there's boosted bass a lot of gain going on um but it, it doesn't sound bad it has its place and all of these guitars together you'd think they'd sound like a big beehive mm. but they don't as i said I'm going to repeat myself. It sounds like a big gritty ocean to swim through. That's that to me is the chorus of my way. There's so much there, and um, the parts are sparing. There's I can hear octaves in there. I can hear um, different rhythm parts going on. There's definitely no. There's not a lead line as such, but there's oh, I don't know, Marv. I don't know. I'm tangenting on this song because I am in love with it. Um, it's great. It's great. You can yeah. you can tell a lot of work have been put into that song in terms of arranging, production, oh, yeah. where things go, where. And again, this is Wes Borland's thing. I think he plays <laughs> the right notes at the right time. Yeah. And you can, you know, you go to kind of play or jam around with songs like this, and you think, yeah, he's picked the right notes. I can't yeah. think of a better solo lead bit or a line to go over the top. Like it all just works. Yeah. That's his strength. The verse guitar part and the wonderful chord progression on Don't Go Off Wandering. So nice. Um, you know, it uses the flat five intervals. Um, a lot of the major third tricks, a lot of the, just a really nice clean guitar part. And um, especially with the strings at the start of that song, and it's, it's really heavy, but then you have these strings and it's kind of like a Lydian-y sound, which is a very bright uh, sounding scale for the non-musos. And just, something you wouldn't necessarily start a song on. No. Um, and it really helps to, again, this unease at the start to just be, boom. It's these juxtapositions. You have an uneasy, uneasy part to a nice calming resolution part. They're really, really good at that. Mez, any other positive points you want to go on to? I mean, it's, it's a classic um, situation. With, with, a, with a band like this, and I mean, it's, it's great. Nev they'll never be classed as this. And they'll never be put up against greats like like we normally would because of how widely they are hated. Um, this band is hated, yeah, uh, in, a, yeah. in a lot of ways for a lot of different reasons. Um, I'm going to put it as simply as I can. If you look at Led Zeppelin, you have four very talented, very knowledgeable human beings know what they're doing musically who come together to become the, you know a sum greater than their individual parts and they are all individually top of their field for their instrument yes. which is an, another very very rare feat in a yes. band absolutely so 
I genuinely believe Limp Biscuit is of that same ilk. They are different individuals who are great at what they do, really, really good at what they do. When they come together, it's it's like splitting the atom, in my opinion. I, I think I think the reason why Wes keeps leaving and coming back is because he probably goes, I can't be done with that that dude anymore leaves goes off and does whatever Wes Borland does for, for three months goes we've actually got something pretty special and it's worth the argument and then goes I'm coming back should I we, think I, should we discuss that now as a the first I think, negative I think that's what happens because he he may with his ability he could in my opinion be in any band with anyone I think he, even if he just wrote an album of solo stuff, which he obviously he has released solo stuff, but I mean, I don't know if he had like, if he formed another band entirely, I still think he would be very successful because he is extremely gifted. Um, and I, I, I think he knows what Limp Biscuit is. It's funny to talk about them like this because they're, as we said, Fred Durst is like, you laugh at him, like, oh, how could you be like that? Good God. But honestly, listening through this, it's given me an entirely, entirely different perspective. Um, I'm, I'm a big appreciator now. But that's what I think. I think they are all greater than themselves individually together, um, which is obviously why people form bands, along with I can't play drums and guitar at the same time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... Let's let's talk about it. Yeah, I, I feel like you're going to have slightly more info than I am on that subject, but I will open with this. Go on. I did I did a bit of homework on the first album. Well, I did a homework on all of them. The first album, three dollar bill. <laughs> now, I read through this, and one of the first lines of information I found was. Wes Borland left Limp Bizkit preceding a successful performance opening for Korn at the Dragonfly in Hollywood due to a disagreement with Fred Durst. Limp Bizkit signed with Mojo, a subsidiary of MCA Records. So that's quite big. That's Yeah. Yeah. In the big time. While heading to California to record their first album, the band wrecked their van, leading Durst to rehire Borland. After a dispute with Mojo, Limp Biscuit signed with Flip, a subsidiary of Interscope Records. So <coughs> they're on their they're not even on their way. They're on their way to record their first record. Wes Borland's left, and they've had an argument with their record label, haven't yep. and and they've joined another. That is a problem. <laughs> I think if they weren't as good at what they do as they are or have been, um, they um, they wouldn't exist now. Quite frankly, they'd be a footnote. Oh, this band existed for a bit. Oh, mm -hmm. oh good. That's what they'd be. But given given the extent of what they can achieve, that's the reason why. They're, I mean, obviously, but yeah, that's the reason why they're still here. Um, yeah, so right off the bat, I was like, 
There's there's probably a fair bit of tension in this band. Um, obviously, he's left and Wes has left and rejoined quite a few times, and it's usually to the detriment of him and Fred had a fallen out. Um, so I mean, I I we've all had fallings out with band members. Um, I I I think I've only ever left one band because of it. No, that's definitely not true. I've definitely left about three because of it. Um, but again, it's it's more fallings out, and and again, you're going to know a bit more about this than I will. But um, do we know if it's because they're both very particular? Do we know if it's a personality conflict, or do we know that they they just they're not the biggest fans of each other? I mean, Marv, talk me through it. What's your thoughts on that? I'll give you my information that I know. I mean, I would title this as like, does Wes Borland even want to be in the band? And yeah. by that effect, it does go on to the other band members as well. Not not the bass player. I would say the the, the drummer, John Otto, and the um, DJ turntablist, DJ Lethal, who was in House of Pain. Yes, he um, was. So in the latter two's case, John Otto and DJ Lethal, I remember, I think Wes Borland and Fred does sat down with, especially DJ Lethal and was like, look, your drug and drinking use, especially, I think this was like maybe 2012, 2011. It's like, come on, dude, what are you doing? Like, we're trying to do stuff here, whatnot. They had a big, big, big falling out. He left the band. He wanted to come back. DJ Lethal, they're kind of like, mm, nah, I don't know. Don't really know. He's now since back in the band. I think since about 2018. Um, the drummer, John Otto, wasn't on the 2005 EP because he was in rehab. That's right. A lot of that kind of going on, of dysfunction. Um, which is very, very, you know, part and parcel for a lot of bands. But yeah, I, Wes Ball and I, um, I don't know much about that first split, but it's interesting that your guitarist leaves before you record your first album and you get a record deal. It's not exactly uh, reliable, you know, reassuring for the record company be like, yeah, okay, we'll give you loads of money to do this uh, for it to never come out. But yeah. obviously rejoined, uh, he left, after the Chocolate Starfish and Hot Dog Flavor Water Tour, which was 2001. And I remember that Ross Robinson, who produced their first record, said he doesn't sell out for money anymore. That was his quote on Limp Bizkit. Yeah. Um, and I think another interview, which was on the really good MTV launch documentary about the results may vary, because it kind of picks up there, where he's like, you know, I kind of reached my limit with Limp Bizkit creatively, what I want to do, I want to do other things. You know, he'd... You know, he was a very big fan of like, um, is it Mr. Bungle? Is that Mike Patton's side project? From Faith No More. I think it's someone like that. So he likes all these avant-garde kind of rock bands and rock projects. He was doing a lot of that. You know, he'd yeah. already had a couple of side projects, I think with his brother or something like that. Um, he does Blacklight Burns, which was a solo project and they're really good. I really love the song Burning a Lie. I think it's great. And again, you can just hear the ball and guitar sound. It's like it follows him around. That's the Limp Biscuit sound right there. Yeah. Um, and then he rejoined. I think they he rejoined 2005. They did that EP. They did the greatest hits. And then they went on hiatus. Then they came back. And he said, obviously, at the time, he's like, I have no future plans with Limp Biscuit as of right now, which a lot of people just went, they've kind of split or he split off. But yeah. And then rejoins for what, the third time. And then they do Gold Cobra, which is 2011. He's still in the band now. But I remember reading, um, this will feed into another negative point, problems I've encountered, where he was like, you know, oh, 
it's really hard to you know do any expansion or any growth of Limp Biscuit because people just want to hear all the old stuff. So really, you know, that's all we can kind of get and really play. None of us really listen to new metal. It's just every time we get together and practice and rehearse and write songs, that's what comes out naturally. I've, I don't listen to new metal. And you kind of think, well, it reeks of, I know where my paycheck is. So if I keep doing this, yeah, it can feed my other stuff. I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong in that. There's nothing no. wrong in that. No, no, no. Wrong. It annoys you when he's like, oh, we can't expand and grow. And, you know, no one wants to hear this stuff. And I just think, go listen to the truth off of the unquestionable truth part one and tell me that you can't even start there because it's a lot more riff based. It's great. It's really exciting. Fred Durst's vocals are completely different, I would say, in terms of he's not like Yelpy. He's not in the traditional significant other chocolate starfish era kind of vocal it sounds way more mature like that frustrates me but that is a different point entirely but it just makes me think that it really makes you think that Westbourne's either just kind of just gone kind of given up and went you know what I'll just stay in this band now because it's making me this amount of money a year and it's fine I get to tour I get to do this all the money I can save up to record my own albums and own things and that's the passion products I want to do but I kind of need this big rock band machine to help me out maybe they're reconciled maybe he is generally really happy but just the feeling i get i i don't know if he even wants to be in the band anymore and it does make you question stuff that i'd i'd say his guitar parts aren't as exciting as they were in their heyday which can be a number of things but i think mainly it might be to do with he doesn't want to be in the band anymore he just kind of is there potentially as what do you think I mean, again, you could be a number of reasons as to why that's the case. He could maybe be sick of writing really, really sick guitar parts. Maybe he's um, saving them up for something else. Maybe he's got fantastic ideas, but he's gone, you know, Limp Bizkit's great and all, but I've done that. I want to better myself in the work-related arena. That, that's a possibility. I mean, he's he's done solo albums, hasn't he? So yeah, why, why wouldn't he? You know, uh, uh, we've all made this point of, you know, the function stuff's great, but I don't want to be doing it in my 40s. Um, and that's not me saying I'm too good for the work. That's not me saying I, I deserve better as such. That's just me saying, you know, it's good. The money's good when it's coming but I don't want to do it when I'm in my forties. You know, you can relate. You're in your seventies now and you're still doing it. There you go. I promised in my, in my, uh, you know, fifties that I'd stop doing it, but here I am still plodding away playing man. I feel like a woman. The, the thing I find with it is, um, yeah. From an outsider's perspective, Oh, oh yeah, I bet it's really boring to play guitar for Limp Biscuit to play to loads of audiences and to be massively appreciated and have millions in the bank and do whatever you want and have whatever guitar. I bet it must be so boring. After a while, it probably is. It probably gets to a point like any other job where you're like, okay, back to it then. And it gets dull. You start noticing things that annoy you. You start looking at your co-workers and thinking, could I do better here? You know, I th- maybe that's the case. Maybe You, you start looking at your mug and you think, 
Start looking Look at, at my mug on that mug, eh? Oh, if only I could pay a good amount of money for that, which we'll decide later on at a more determined date, eh? <laughs> oh, I'm sick of yeah. this place. <laughs> oh, dear, man, 50 episodes, shut up. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it could be any other, any, any number of reasons. He won't be short of wits, I'm telling you that, mate. He will not be going, oh, no, I've forgotten how to do it. I guarantee you that lad's still got some riffs up his sleeve. Um, yeah, a number of reasons. Could be a number of reasons. Who knows? We, we both know very, very well. But sometimes for absolutely no reason at all, a musician will suddenly go, nah, I don't fancy that anymore. And the, the least favourite of mine is, I'm going to release a solo album. Yeah, all right, Rick Parfit, you don't need to do that, mate. No, I'm going to, though. Why? You going to tour it? Nah. <laughs> you expected to make loads off it? Nah, not really. Why are you doing it, then? Enjoy recording. So status quo aren't recording anymore. No, they're still recording. But you want to do a solo album as well? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just want to see where it takes me. That's the phrase, isn't it? Just want to see where it takes me. I want to do different things. Which again, you've got the money, whatever. Do your thing. Doesn't mean I'm going to listen to it. If it's critically acclaimed, I might go and have a go. Uh, and I don't mean critically acclaimed from um, critics, which is actually the dictionary definition of critics. Always tying himself up here. I was going to get out of this one. But to me, the dictionary definition of critically acclaimed is what do music appreciators think of it? Not little. Oh, I nearly said a rude word. Am <laughs> I going to replace it with a rude word? No. <laughs> Starts with the C, there, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Crumbs. I can't say it. Oh, you mm. said it, man. But no, I, I think I think there could be a million and one reasons as to why. There could be one. There could be ten. There could be none. Maybe it's just like, ah, oh, this is what I'm writing now. What do you think, Fred? I quit. So I I don't know. Who knows? The only person who are, who are who is going to know the motivations for his actions is himself, or maybe it ain't. Maybe he just is just acting. He's going with the flow. Who knows? I think he's brilliant. I think he's capable of genius. And um, yeah, I. Who knows? Maybe they'll release a follow-up album, and it will be the biggest stonkingest album we have ever heard. And everyone will go, all oh, hell, Limp Biscuit. Even the South US Christian parents. Oh no, it's too much for little Jimmy's ears. Shut up. Shut up. That's what you get. I, uh, it's you, have, you have gone in. I love this. You have gone in. See, the, thing, the thing is, mate, it's, it's like anything. It's like absolutely anything. So... Uh, it really annoys me when people are so outwardly opposed to something that I just don't care if you're outwardly opposed to. I was at a wedding a few years ago, a family wedding, and I got chatting to a distant relative who isn't really a relative, but you see him so on, on occasion. So you make waves and you have a chat and you get on with him and, you know, as I've grown up, this relative, I was like, do you know what? You're actually all right. You're okay. I'll, you know, whatever. Fair enough. Uh, I'll get on with you and we'll have a pint and we'll have a chat and whatever. And then 
I, I went out for a smoke and this person joined me who was quitting smoking. But obviously, you know what it's like. Someone gets a couple of beers in them, time for a social smoke. Whatever, fair enough. You're, you're part of the family, I'll roll you one. I don't care. Rolled, him, rolled this individual one. And we smoked and we were chatting. And we talked about music, actually, funnily enough, because this individual had recently been to America, so the Hard Rock Cafe. Very, very cool. Uh, some amazing artifacts in there. You get some really cool bands. And we were just talking about it. And he went, yeah, yeah, saw this band, saw that band, saw it. Yeah, they were great, they were great. Much better than that, Bieber, anyway. Okay. <laughs> uh, Merritt is doing a thumbs up to the camera there. Well, well, well done. Like, do you know what I mean? That level of opposing something publicly because you don't like... I don't care, mate. I don't... It's always got to be taken to that level. This is better than this. And I mean, why can't you just appreciate for something? Why can't you appreciate something for what it is? Not everything needs to be compared. Compare Limp Biscuit to some of Marv. Compare me, Limp Biscuit, to something. I mean, you can, obviously. But my point is, why would you want to? I listened to all of it, and I was like, I don't need to compare it. I didn't like it years ago. But now, listening to it, as an adult, as a music appreciator, I can finally sit here and say, it's great. I don't need to say, well, it's not Master of Puppets, is it? It's not It's not Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, is it? I can and, you, just and, and, you, and you've nailed it. You've nailed the point. You've nailed yeah. the point that people want to, when you add in a social element and people need to justify what they're saying with going, yeah. it's almost like Sam we know it's rubbish. You know, it's not like this band, which I hold in such a high regard, which then makes me better and seem a bit better and more like not snobby, yeah. but like, I know what I'm talking about. And aren't I a good person? Yes. You know, you do that. Some, some bands are the, you know, the get a kicking limp biscuit or a big one. Oh, Nickelback yeah. or a big one. We discussed that Justin Bieber, anything that's popular, which people think don't, doesn't have a lot of skill put behind it. You know, yeah. oh, just easy pop songs, easy pop things. Was like, if it's easy pop, you write me a nice pop banger then that people are going to remember using four of the most common chords. Yes, it's very boring and it's very like saturated to the point where, okay, I don't want to hear one, five, six forever again, that chord progression. But all you got to do is put a nice memorable melody over it and there you go. You've got it. So, and again, you know, they use the same four chords that Metallica might use. All these other, you know, Deftones or Korn, all these people that are like, you know, they're underground, they're this, they're that. It's like, well, how far do you then go? How far do you then go? Well, they're on major labels. They put their songs out for product. You know, they've kind of gone, well, it's art, but we also want to make money from it. But you don't want to be a starving artist. And again, there's always a juxtaposition for every single positive quote that you see in a negative one you can go to the nth degree i know exactly what you're talking about it's when you put a social element it talks more about what the other person wants to to perceive themselves to the person they're talking to which is exactly what your relative who was a relative who wasn't a relative but somehow was at a wedding said yeah no no you're absolutely correct you're absolutely correct it's almost an insecurity thing of i've got to appear like, and I expect you get it because we're musicians. Everybody automatically assumes that as soon as they start talking about their music taste, 
I'm going to suddenly go, oh, what a great taste of music, which is already subjective, by the way. Yep. Um, factually, there is no way for someone to go down as, oh, yeah, they have a really good music taste. Like, yes, there's good and bad music, but uh, it depends whether you're inside the tent spitting out or outside the tent spitting in. It's got nothing to do with, you know, it, there are exceptions to the rule, which we have discussed, but. When it comes down to it, I don't care what you listen to. I don't care if you listen to Latvian throat singing. I don't care if you listen to monks in the mountains of the Mississippi. I don't care. If you enjoy it, that is the most important thing. That's what we try. That's our mission statement on this podcast. We mention it pretty much every episode, sometimes 15 times an episode. But this is the point. And like I said, that sort of mantra um that is how i set apart from 15 year old mez who's gone oh fred durst no to now 27 year old mez going this is banging i get exactly what you're getting across this is going to go into our <laughs> next negative point the public perception of fred durst and limit biscuit <laughs> in general yes so they can come across as very corny very superficial and very goofy um Again, you can compare them to the Beastie Boys and the fact that it's rock guitars and very obvious rapping. Um, they, they they would just seem like a joke. They just seem like a joke. They were yep. like frat rock. Um, you know, he was the butt of every joke. He very he very much got struggled to be taken seriously. That was the main problem of Fred Durst. And yeah, you know, they didn't age very well. And when people go. You know, if you say, oh, what bands do you like? You go Limp Biscuit. You know, you're a mosher. You're a skater. You're a mosher. You're an emo. You're a goth. You know, I've been been called that. Yeah. It's like, what? How am I a goth? Because I like listening to Limp Biscuit. Just never got it. But, you know, like we said, Fred Durst is the main reason for why Limp Biscuit became as successful as they did. He was the guy flying the flag. He pushed the demos in front of the right people. He rung up... Uh, labels pretending to be like an A&R guy you know he had all these things he's the Lars Ulrich of their group you know oh, yeah undoubtedly you know, he helps helps composition probably helps with ranging like you, you see it on the results may vary documentary he's he feels like as well that you know he feels like he's responsible for keeping his bandmates having a job and that it's his prerogative because he's saying he was the older one out of the group um I think he was 24 when they started he's born 1970 so He's 30, 29 under 30 when they actually hit big, um, which seems late, but it, it is it is what it is. But I reckon if you took him out of the group, and especially with Wes Borland's kind of experimentation, I think you get a more like underground Primus Deftones tool kind of mashup of a band, yes. and they would yeah. have this cult following. Um, but again, let's talk about group members. So that, like, you know, you get these kind of cliches of the right kinds of people in groups. They had the right members who fulfilled the right roles so again you've got the business-minded member who sits in on meetings and wants what's best for the group affording them the freedom to make the music they want whenever they want usually gets the group the best deal monetarily to avoid to afford like the site the other band members like experimental solo ventures or side businesses of tequila or i don't know cool rags which i seen today is like a little rag that you put or like a cloth that you put around your head and you soak it in water and it keeps you cool for up to two hours and i was like fair enough um 
You get the unavoidable genius member who doesn't care for commercial success and wants to stay true to their art, yet struggles when in the big band kind of machine. They constantly clash with the former and usually leave. Then they return. Then they leave. Then they return. Who does that sound like to you? I'll let you make your mind up. <laughs> then you get the silent member who plays what they're told by the others, usually by the first two. They'd love to experiment more and are definitely way more proficient than is heard on record and live. Either happy with this situation as they can view the band as their job and relax by the pool or on their bike and avoid the spotlight, or they're frustrated by this situation, which means they need to relax by the pool or ride their bike to avoid the spotlight. And then you get the other silent member, but does get to experiment and show their proficiency and talent. Usually contributes more to the band's hit songs than we're told and the public find out later through like YouTube analysis videos. They can talk for ages in documentaries about really insightful things and you know, they think, yeah, that's, that's really, really smart. I'm, I like that, but they'll get edited out for the singers kind of like, I'm very misunderstood. And, you know, when I take drugs, it makes me actually like think in a different way that I can actually express, like, I hate your guts and I wish you would die into like a more po like poetic, um, I loathe your loins and I wish you were deceased. You know, that's just, that's the way it is. Am I wrong? You feel like those things are definitely tropes in bands that you get? Absolutely, yeah. You can attribute it to a lot of different bands. I feel like Limp Bizkit have that, have that too. Um, yeah. You know, Fred Durst works very hard. You see it in this results may vary documentary. You know, he's he had his own label. I think he was the head um, at like I don't think it was Def Jam or, or Vice or Interscope. I think he was like the A and R guy. He's like a head, yeah, like a big managerial role there. He was responsible for Stain and Puddle and Mud getting their breaks. He wrote scripts for films. He directed, like he was doing everything. Uh, definitely chucks himself into his work. Um, and again, in 2001, two very successful selling albums that combined 50 million record sales. That is not something to, you know, dismiss. 8 million and 7 million selling that in 99, 2000, where albums was at that point just starting to dip down. Napster coming in, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's good. Um but again, ball and quits for the second time, the height of their powers, done selling out. So, you know, Fred wants to keep this band together because he is the band. And this infamous quote, if we can do it with Wes, we can do it without Wes. And he's so straight faced when he says that. We can do it with him. We can do it without him. Can you though? Can you really do this? So just as a quick timeline, you know, they've done significant other, which was their breakthrough in 1999. They followed up a year later with chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water, which I believe was an amalgamation of, I think Wes Borland came up with the hot dog flavored water part, but a silly title, stupid artwork. You are it. correct. It was an inside joke started by Wes Borland at a truck stop while the band was on tour where Borland saw bottles of Crystal Geyser flavor water and made a joke about having meat or hot dog flavors. There you go. There you go. And would you have a drink of that hot dog flavor water? I think just for the banter, yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. Not great. Um, exactly, Not exactly. So, um, you know, they're the height of their powers and then Wes Borland quits in 2001 and then 2003, you get results may vary. Now, Fred Durst burst fred starburst fred durst took over Alberti. Alberti. he took over and was basically you know the creative force behind this now they went through guitarists like nobody's business at this point so yeah. initially this quote if we can do it with wes we can do it without wes meant that durst decided to start learning guitar 
at this point in his life and play on the record. He was the guitar player. So whether this comes from a huge egotistical point of view, because I found is weird enough. Like in my head, I was like, Oh, he's, he's an egomaniac. I've definitely heard this before, but I found it very, very hard to find that information without, you know, him calling other people egomaniacs, but you know, you're trying to replace one of the most unique and recognizable sounding of your generation of your genre. And you're just like, I'll play guitar. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. You know, it's pretty cringe-worthy. Cringe-worthy. What are words? Cringe-worthy. Um, there's a bit where I think the, the bass player has shown him how to play a chord and he shows him this like shape and he's like, oh, does that work with every chord then? Like basically, can I move it up and down? It's fine. Oh, no. It's so, it's like I've, I've taught lessons like that. So my kids yeah. where it's like, this is a bar chord, right? You can move that up and down. Cool. Let's try this. Let's try that. Yeah, he's in a major rock band instead of because they did a massive search around the world. I think maybe like something like 1,600 guitarists. I think they auditioned. It might even be like 16,000, but I think it's it's something like that. A huge amount. Still couldn't find anybody to gel with. So he's going to take it upon himself. Um, You know, he's singing to the camera that he's not even a guitar player and he's a guitar player in a band. It's like he knows that. But maybe his ego is so big that he's like, I can do it. It's fine. It's just guitar. It's all right. But he's clearly struggling. He is clearly struggling. It'd be like us two being like, hey, our singer just quit. It's all right. We'll do the vocals. We'll do the vocals. We'll be fine. You know, we're not lead vocalists. You know, we can't. It would, wouldn't sound the same. It'd be like, you know what I mean? Like trying to replace Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses or Chris Cornell. It'd be like, nah. Imagine Slash being like, I'll do that. Ain't going to happen. Ain't gonna happen. No, that's that's it, isn't it? That's it. Maybe maybe it is an ego thing, but maybe it is just a case of the guitarist's gone, and I know what I want. I know what I like him to do. So surely, that's the case. Maybe I should just jump into those shoes. But um, I I, th- I think it's more of like a I'm responsible for this band. It's sinking. I've got that, to step in and yeah, help. Yeah, we but, had this discussion about the uh, the whole the whole Beatles enigma where it's like Paul McCartney is sat in a practice room. No one's doing anything. They're all on drugs. And he's like, I need to write songs for my band here. And like, this needs yeah. to happen. If I don't do this, the label are going to go, where's the album then, Paul? Come on. You're one of the lead songwriters. Go and sort John Lennon out. And as much as it's amazing that now he's got all that glory and he's, he's, he's like one of the richest musicians on the planet one of the most revered as an incredible songwriter. I can imagine there were a few days where he went, I might disappear. <laughs> and having that, even, even if you're not in the Beatles, having that pressure of, as you said, my band's sinking, um, an enormous defining part has just gone. So I need to do something about that now. And if I don't, the next record ain't happening. Yeah. So yeah, I I agree with you. It could be that conundrum where he's just like, I need to get this done. We need to do this. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. Definitely likely. Absolutely. I definitely think there's a part of it. Um. You know, they. You see it on the documentaries where he finally realizes that he's way too in. You know, in the water here. Um. Yeah. Too over his head. So they hire. I think the is like one of the engineers that plays guitar starts playing this riff or starts to come up with stuff and he gets hired like two hours later. Um, <laughs> but like Rivers Cuomo from Weezer wrote Limp Biscuit songs for them. These other people came in, but then they took the songs off the album. 
Um, they had Mike Smith, who I believe then toured with them. He recorded some guitar for the album, but they scrapped that. It's something like then they record a whole other album and scrapped it. So whether that, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, we realized that, you know, we didn't really gel with him. He wasn't on the same musical path. And, you know, the kind of generic thing of like, oh, um, he's got a stomach virus, so he won't be performing, but, you know, shooting up heroin or something. Classic creative differences. It does make you think, well, he's just a control freak. Maybe he just wants yeah. everything to be exactly right. And maybe everything was fine, but he wrote so much music and it's like, yeah, I don't want that. Scrap that, do it again. Scrap that, do it again. You kind of just think, well, I don't know. <laughs> this is, again, maybe the point of contention where Born and Durst are just fighting all the time. But you need that because it creates this magic. Exactly. You know, they need each other. Like you were saying, they're bigger than yeah. some of their parts. Yeah, that's the right thing to say. But I think it's from an ego perspective because this point really hits at home. So uh, you see when he's in the vocal booth, he's ready to record the vocals to Behind Blue Eyes, which we will get to. Actually, I'm going to get to it now. This is a big problem for me. The problem I encountered is their cover of Behind Blue Eyes. I cannot stand it. No, same. I, I just think it's not the death knell of them, but oh, it's just so much bone of contention because it really does encapsulate Fred Durst's ego and I think a good a good solid pinpoint of why people maybe don't like him and the band it's very easy to point your finger and just laugh at this point you know they're they're doing their reworking which really is just the same acoustic guitar part but simplified down and some like drum machine on Nakai MPC and a little vocoder speak and spell thing um but you can see that he's with the Neptunes, right? And he's like, please sing in the melody quite low. Then he starts singing it a bit higher. Like, get in the vocal booth, get in the vocal booth. He's all giddy and stuff, right? And now he's putting on his headphones. And he's like, you can see, he's saying to him, he's like, this is groundbreaking. This is big time. And he goes, this is Freebird. Like, is he referencing the fact that his cover is going to be this Freebird, the generation of, you know, you know, Lord. this is an actual quote. I think it's really special. I think it's timeless. When Dallas, his son, grows up, he's going to be like, damn. I think he's going to go, my dad was the shit. Now, definitely, you, definitely not a joke, though. No. Not a joke. He, when you watch the documentary, it's in like a nice, smooth lighting. He is dead serious to the camera. No wow. smiling, dead serious. But what I like, what I find hilarious, it cuts to Fred in the car playing behind blue eyes to his son. And his son's just eating a sandwich. He's just like looking up at the sky. He's like, ang, 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 ang. and he's like, this is your dad. He's like, this is your dad singing. And he's just eating a sandwich. And then Fred Durst just turns back and just starts driving again. <laughs> I'm like, your son has just ripped you. He's made you look like a right knob. But maybe it was a comedy part because he'd be like, yeah, just, just get Dallas to eat a sandwich and look at the sky. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> Then there's a bit where uh, it cuts to then, I think they're in a house and Fred's saying to his son, like, look, daddy wrote some lyrics. He's a daddy's lyrics. And then like, he can't even get to the end of the quote. And I think Dallas rips the page out or someone rips the book. And I'm just like, how many more Freudian slips do you need? Like how many more of these do you need in here to just prove your son hates Limp Biscuit, mate. All right. Oh man. Oh, it's just hilarious. Yeah, that is funny. I need to watch this documentary because it's um, it sounds very revealing, um, very very telling. 
in a lot yeah, of ways. It is. Like the, the 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 way Fred Durst's mind works and how he deals with things. And I mean, as we said, he's clearly had his uses because they we we wouldn't be discussing it right now, quite frankly. Um but it's um yeah, I don't know, mate. I don't know. I th- I think he needs to um I think he's got really good sort of processes for the way he does things, but on top of that, I think he can go a bit far sometimes. Um, not, Indeed. Not, not ragging. I just think that is the case. He can go a little bit far sometimes. It's a little bit far-fetched. I mean, if he's being genuine, like, this is genius, this is groundbreaking, this is Freebird. But again, it's like we were saying earlier with the whole 444 by Jay-Z and status quo. Like, that to me is the same comparison. It's universes apart, um, but in a completely different way. In a way of, yes, not though, is it, Fred? It's just not, mate. Listen, it's listen, it's just not. Like, like, yeah. especially that he's talking about a cover song which he didn't write. And again, yeah. he did a sacrilegious thing to most people where he wrote the third verse. He added a verse. Bear in mind, it's like barely two lines. Yeah. But people are like, you never do that. You never you do that. And the fact what? he's talking about a cover song, do you know what I'm saying? Like where, okay, Faith by George Michael, great. You made it your own. Tongue in cheek. I get that. You right. know, you, yeah. you say that your band's misunderstood because, you know, they, people don't fail to see how funny that you're being in tongue in cheek and parody. And, you know, everyone takes you too seriously. But at this point in his career, you know, everyone hates him at this point. He's a very hated person in America. There's a lot of internet forums and message boards and things. But like, I don't know. We'll get onto his lyrics in a minute, but especially when you're saying like, you know, behind blue eyes and I've done all this and I've done all that. And it's like, it's groundbreaking. It's free bird. Okay. Cool to be ambitious. Cool to break some barriers and break some rules and perceptions, what people think you can or can't do. But also at the same time, you kind of got to be a little bit realistic and realize, you know, just you're not as, I don't know. No, I, I agree with you. <laughs> Not I, as influential as you think you are, and you're doing a cover song and you're getting that giddy. It'd be like us when we go and record our promo and being like, guys, Merritt's come up with the guitar part, right? Which fits in. I think this is this is our like, you know, rolling in the deep. You know, this is this is Bohemian Rhapsody. All right. It's like you're doing watermelon sugar. You know? This is like, this is yeah. But I think this is this is just a classic musician syndrome anyway. Um, just getting really, really overexcited about one thing that whether you can see it or not, it's, it's not worth that. It's not worth getting that excited about. Um, <clears throat> yes, yeah, a cover, you know what I mean? And I'm pretty sure um, it wouldn't have taken much convincing to do that cover because as we've said, Wes Borland took a hike um, and he's probably scrabbing around going, oh no, like my, my albums have like 15 to 17 songs. Like where am I going to come up with all of these songs? Because I, I don't know if you've noticed, mate, there is a lot of content on every single one of those albums. Yeah. And it's great. It's great. I'm not complaining. But for Wes Borland to go, see you later. Um, I can imagine that's pr- maybe one of the reasons why we ended up having that bloody cover and an extra verse that nobody wanted. Nobody's asked for it. But nobody asked. Nobody asked. 
So maybe that's why. Maybe it's a case of I need to fill some time here. The label might have gone, well, the other albums were 15 songs. Go get another guitarist. Come on. Crack on. This is yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is something else we discussed on the very first episode. He left the band. Free results may vary cycle, which is 2001, 2003. Um, he apparently was having a... Re- relationship with Britney Spears which she was yes. denying he had written songs for Britney Spears's album things called In The Zone which ended up not going on there because he went well if because she, she was you know basically denying their relationship she went he went you're not using my songs then um you know he's had a very troubled past it seems with relationships and girlfriends which we'll get into the lyrics just in a little bit yeah. um he was getting all this hate you know the guitar players left he's got a lot of stress he's got he had, this is his second child as well. It was born in 2000. So, you know, a dad of two. Um, a lot of stress and feeling the pain and feeling the hurt. He's got a right to feel that. He's got a right to feel that. Um, but like we'll get into the lyrics. Maybe I don't want to hear it all the time in a whiny sort of way. Um, but when he's like, I was working out one day and I heard Behind Blue Eyes came on. He was like, it perfectly encapsulated everything I was feeling at the, at the time. Cool. Fair enough. That's why he probably recorded it. Yeah. But then he added his own third verse and the video is so somber and direct. And I think it's the most serious Limp Bizkit have ever been is on yeah. that Behind Blue Eyes. And I get the intention behind that. You know, Rearrange is quite serious. Uh, My Way's got a serious undertone to it. And a lot yeah. of the album tracks have but as a single, but oh, it's just, it just it doesn't come across that way. It comes across really whiny this yeah. is the problem i'm going to get into it now as lyrics we're going to get into his lyrics this is my number one problem i think with limb biscuit um i'm so poker face ladies going gaga so where's the symbol where's the symbol crash after that one that's a recent dusty phrase yeah i heard that one so i think it's the easiest reason so dust lyrics are far from poetic and sophisticated he comes across as a frat boy who's just discovered sex and rock music you know yes he does he really does his main themes are braggadocious raps about how good his flow is and how good his band are yeah emotional introspection about how he feels and how other people make him feel yeah. sex and relationships a kind of political conspiracy theory how we are told to think angle which you get a lot in the unquestionable truth part one and a whole song dropping the f-bomb so for the last one there, hot dog from chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water has 47 uses of the F-bomb. Why? Because it seems to be the best descriptive word Fred Durst could use at this moment in time, a 30-year-old father of two. A um, very interesting one. Don't play it for your kids. Oh, it's always oh, naughty. He's naughty. Um, the two we're going to focus on really are going to be sex and relationships and emotional introspection because the other two are quite self-explanatory yes um so here we go then emotional introspection or the old oh woe is old freddy so you know fred fred Durst likes to write about himself big deal right that's what most singer songwriters do they recall experiences they've had in the world and then they tell you their view of it cool if it's cathartic and you relate to it great and that's what Durst should be doing, writing about his experiences. But do we have to sit here and like hear how bad his life is all the time? How he's misunderstood, how everybody hates him. You know, like I said, he was subject to a lot of unwarranted hate, 
a lot of forums dedicated to the hatred of him, public bashings, you know, and then the whole Eminem thing raising the video, you know, so Christina Aguilera can argue about, you know, who she sat next to first. He's in the video. He's part of the mockery in a sense. And he knows that. Um, you can see yeah. that it affects him deeply on the documentary. The results may very launch, but, you know. You know who else received kind of unwarranted hate in internet forums dedicated to the man himself, you know, probably around this time that we've already covered in the first episode. Old Chan Krongen himself, Mr. Nickelback. But I don't have to hear him whine about it on his albums. I really can't think of a song on a Nickelback record that he's going, I'm so hated. Woe is me. Why does everyone hate me so much? What am I doing wrong? That's actually a positive in Nickelback's discography is that the fact they yeah. don't actually address that. No, it's, it's almost like it's completely separate from the universe of people that do hate them. Um, whereas I feel like that makes Fred a lot more self-aware. It's like, well, not, no, 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 no. Got that wrong. Not self-aware. He's just aware how other people feel about him. Um, if he was self-aware, I feel like it would be these people feel this about and the reason behind they feel this about me is because I act this way. Yeah. Um, whereas I really don't feel like he has enough empathy to, um, to maybe he does, but he doesn't. I didn't hear an example of it, put it that way. I think you're on the mark there. You're on the mark there. So, yeah. yeah. A lot of people have been asking me, Mez, how's the Chad Krongen Mez fight shaping up? You got your ring outfit yet? What are you going to wear? Go on, what's the status? Because everyone keeps asking me, I want to see this fight. This is what I'm wearing. Okay, cool. Like shirt, these yep. trousers. Yeah. And um, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to ask our our patrons for which one you're asking, Bristol Bears or uh, our old boy from Crash Band. You gotta go Bristol Bears because you gotta represent where you come from. You know, if you go, are you gonna go to his 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 end of the woods or is he gonna come over here? Whichever happens first. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to London. <laughs> Whoever gets on the plane first. Go. Yep. Hey, ladies, where you at? Ah, <laughs> uh. oh, he's good in it. Let's move on then. So, yep. There you go. That's the answer to your question. He's still picking his. He's got his outfit. He's picking the hat. It's gonna happen, all right. Oh, it's happening, boys. So uh, yes, go on. Got, got me bottle. Oh, no weapons, mate. No weapons. It's not no a weapon. It's for if I want to drink, mate. Okay. Come on. Please. We'll get Earl Hebner to officiate, all right? It's all right. Oh, not re really. Is yeah. he still a bang? Sure, he's, he's, not. he's I don't think he's a re he don't think he referees anymore, but he's, yeah. he's part of the infamous Montreal screw job. If, if you know, you know. So Freddie loves a whine about all this hate, right? It becomes a huge pity party for the multi-millionaire successful rock star who is admittedly an easy target. I'm going to read out some of his self, you know, his pity party lyrics. Here we go then. So from underneath the gun, won't ever come back. Now that my life doesn't exist. From Drown. Sometimes I feel like a fool because I'm so uncool. Forgive me. Build a bridge. Make my tears be your bath. Oh, no. Which definitely sounds like a line from Excalibur. Dave Brent. Yes. Let me down in a window made of broken glass. Oh, no. It's getting more. more lonely world. Another day. Another night inside a lonely world. Another game, another fight inside a lonely world. Another wrong, another right inside a lonely world. Such a lonely world. Such a lonely world. No matter how hard I can try inside a lonely world. No one can hear me when I cry inside a lonely world. 
I'll never know the reasons why inside a lonely world. Such a lonely world. What is it, Mez? Lonely world. Um, it, it, hey, we, hey, hey, come on. We got a bit more here. Come on. Listen to the pity party. If, it, if we can list all his records, right? With all this on it, you can listen to the quotes. Yeah. All, right. All, all right, all right, go on, go on. From it, from it, it'll be okay. And I'm feeling so disgusted. How pathetic can I possibly be? Hold on, I'll still adore you. You'll never need me. And my personal favorite from Boiler. Oh, why, 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 why? <laughs> now looky here. He has the right to write about whatever he's feeling, right? It's his band. If you don't want to hear it, just stop listening. There's plenty yeah. of music out there to satisfy your needs away from his lens of the world. But it does start coming off a little like he doesn't understand what the problem is and that no one's kind of gone, do you reckon it's you, mate? Do you reckon you need to maybe change your perception of the world? Because that's how it starts coming across to me. Can you imagine being West Borland? You've just left Limp Bizkit. You've got the money and you're widely cons- considered top of your field. Very, very good at what you do. And like, is is that on um, that lyric? The uh, why, 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 Was that on um, um, Results May Vary? It was on Chocolate Starfish. Ooh! There we go then. Um, yeah, that's just obliterated the point I was going to make then. Never mind. Well, we can congeal it. To hear someone whine and whine and whine about their life, we, we look about your friends and all that, you know. The Debbie Downer, as we might call it, SNL skit, you think, oh, cool. Hang around that ne- hanging around that negativity dra- makes you feel negative. It drowns you of your kind of joyousness. Yeah. Yeah. You, don't, you get sick and tired of it. I definitely was this in my teens and my early 20s, for sure. I was just negative about... I'd always be self-deprecating to anything I would do. And it's just, now I can't stand it. I don't no. like when people are like that because you're like, why are you whining? You know, <laughs> especially with the people I know being very privileged living in a country like this where I can get water and food whenever I want. I'm not in danger. I'm not born with a horrible uh, terminal illness or disease. But, oh, thing is it's like i bought a snickers bar yeah and the thing is like it was like oh, a little bit dented and i was just like what's the point that's my life oh it's summed up oh i just can't do anything right you know we have both either been that person or we've oh, yeah. people like that it is draining so imagine being in a band where you're kind of got all these contracts and gigs and albums to fulfill and you have to be around this person day in day out and listening to them Maybe not even just listening to the lyrics they're singing, but also then maybe that carries into who they are as a person. And you're thinking, I'm getting pretty sick of this. Please stop then. And then they're juxtaposing of like, I'm the best rapper. I'm really good. He's really good. Drop that beat. Yeah, we're great. You know? Uh, Thoughts, Thoughts, please, Maz. Thoughts. I, I think, I think he has peaks and troughs. I think he has, uh, I think he either peaks and troughs or it's all one big act. Um, but peaks and troughs, I'm, I'm more likely to lean on. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think he has these immense moments of like, I'm amazing. My band are amazing. Oh my God. Because um, 
I feel like I, I know quite a few people that do that. They'll have like proper highs where they'll be like, everything's incredible. I'm on cloud nine. This is amazing. Everything's going well. And then obviously as life goes, you get stressed, things go wrong, things don't happen as you expect them to. And then you feel a bit down, but some people feel worse and other people feel rock bottom. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely a human trait to be like that. Um, because you listen to something like Roland, he's he's peaking there. He's he's having a damn good time. Um, and you you can hear that, and it's that's why it's such a big party tune in in my mind, you know. But I I think that's I think I think yeah I think he gets peaks and troughs. I think he goes up and up and up and up and up. Goes it's class up here. Something happens, as you said, father or two pressure to get things done. And I'm not just talking specifically in one area right now. I'm talking generally because whether whether you doesn't matter how many band members you've got, as soon as you put pen to paper on that contract where they've gone, here's a lot of money. No, no, no. I mean a lot of money. And you go, oh, sweet. Yeah, we'll make this back. Pressure. You're in a vice at that point, and you need to deliver to stop that vice from crushing you, basically. Um, I mean, very extreme, uh, especially these days. I mean, a, a record label wouldn't necessarily crush you, but that money's got to go back, son. And if it don't go back, you could find yourself in a sticky situation, and you don't want that, especially as you're, you're getting your band off the ground, you, it's going well. So, yeah, of course, I think as a, as a normal human being would in that scenario, I think peaks and troughs. And, you know, as we know, a lot of people know, trying to get a band off of the ground and maintain it and get to a big point like that, where you're the biggest band in the world, that takes a lot of personal sacrifice. Different. A lot. Yeah. Which it's we'll different. get into with sex and relationships now. So this is another aspect of his lyricism. So whether he did it for the sex, having no sex, like on the song, no sex or letting us know of his desires. It all comes across as like a teenage boy's perception on the subject. Um, the women depicted in Limp Bizkit songs always wrong Fred Durst through cheating or breaking his heart. They're leaving, leaving him the innocent victim who will always keep doing what he's doing until he finds the one. He's never the bastard. He's never the bad person in it. It always seems to be the woman's fault. Now, again, I, I have to assume a lot of them are maybe autobiographical, um, when it comes to this, but maybe he's had pretty bad relationships. He, you can feel quite um, stubborn is not the right word. You can get resentful of that and think very pessimistic of that. But the way he depicts women isn't very great, I would say. Um, so like in Nookie, right? The love interest takes his money and sleeps with his friends. It feels like she put his tender heart in a blender, but he realizes that he can't lie about being with her only for the Nookie, even after taking or not taking his friend's advice, you know? Um, let's do a score. A score for how many times it wasn't Fred Durst's fault is currently one for Nookie. Right. Next round on rearranged, right? About his breakup. Do you reckon Fred will own up to any of his mistakes, Mez? Do you reckon he'll go, yeah? Yep. Okay, here's a line then. But you don't understand what I'm attempting to explain because you know it all, and I guess things will never change. So that's 2 0 then. 2 0 for it wasn't Fred's fault. Let's go for another song then. Don't go off wandering. Here we go. Can we? Can we get a 2-1, right, for the woman's side? 
do you think any less of me now that I'm gone? Look at me now. Everything is gone. I can't seem to do anything right, but I figured out why. You don't let me inside because you don't feel nothing at all. Yeah, not, not good. That's 3-0. That's 3-0. Three nil. That's three nil. Um, all the women's fight again. The worst, the one that has aged the worst and can be considered the blurred lines of its time is Eat You Alive, which I think was the first single off of Red Results Made Very. Yeah, exactly. That groan. Oh, even the titles. Just, oh, and I think the running title for Results Made Very at one point was Panty Sniffer. So he was going to base his entire image of his band on the album Panty Sniffer. Um, I thought I'd consolidate the lyrics to Eat You Alive to the essentials. And then we're going to we're going to place it onto the grosser meter or the grossometer alongside Chen Krelgen's Escapade in the Car. Can you remember what uh, Nickelback song that was? Animals. Okay, so this is going to go up against animals. So here we go. Here's the uh, abridged version of I'd Eat You Alive. If I could approach you or even get close to the scent that you left behind, I'd be fine. No doubt now you bring out the animal inside. Ah, I'd eat you alive. I'd eat you alive. You want nothing at all to do with me, but I want you. Ain't nothing wrong with wanting you because I'm a man and I can think what the hell I want. You got that straight? No doubt that I'd love to, oh, I don't want to say it, sniff on them panties now. I'm sorry. So sorry. Your beauty is so vain. Damn, you're so hot. It drives me absolutely insane. I just want to look at you all day. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Once you seeping under my skin, there's nothing in this world that could wash you away. I'd eat you alive. Yuck. Yucky. I had to Yuck. leave. You had to leave to throw up everywhere. Yeah. Even though it doesn't directly mention any acts of the flesh, that maybe Chad Kroger implies more, I would say, on animals. Uh, or even just across Nickelback's discography. It's not hard to decipher his intentions. Now, you know, what he would like to do to this woman if he had the chance and if she would let him. It paints the woman out to be snobbish and above Fred because she's too good to look his way or give him any attention. So instead of taking that as a sign to like walk away and pursue a woman who is interested in him and is nookie, he's got to blame the woman for acting negatively towards him because it's not his fault for fancying her. Not his choice that he wants to do the things he's thinking. Don't be so hot, because then I could stop all these thoughts and compulsions. Shame on you for being so hot, but also you're vain and stuck up. But guess what? I like you, so deal with it. You know, I've seen plenty of creepy social media messages that either start in this vein um, or go on to like horrible descriptions of things. There was a pro skateboarder I talked about to you the other day that... Um, um, said, you know, oh, you're so hot. And this girl was like, you know, I'm 15, I'm 16. I have 15, 16 June. He was like, oh, sorry, sorry. Like we're trying to back out, but then carried on to be very overtly sexual to her. And it's like, you know, then he puts up a Snapchat or whatever his Instagram being like, looks my, looks like my career's over. It's like, yeah, of course it is. Disgusting, terrible. It's oh, but you're almost, so hot. Yeah. It's almost, oh. uh, it's just that. Like specifically that context that you've just given, it's almost like uh, he, because he because he thinks he's sharing self awareness, that's going to make the whole act better in some way. Yeah, it's, it's all about perception and how like oh do you think 
Like, it's like if, okay, we do it all the time. If I'm learning a song and I can't work out a chord or a line, I'll ring you up and go, oh, guess who's not been able to work that out, Marty J? And you've gone, oh, bloody hell, Merrick, come <laughs> on, son. This is what it is. That's what that skateboarder did. The only difference here is the context is not trying to learn a song. It is sexual abuse of a minor. It's predatory. And he's gone, he, well, not sexual abuse, it's, it's sexual harassment, basically. And he's gone, ah, oh, little I've done for God's sake. And it's like, that, that doesn't make it better. No. That just shows you have self-awareness of the fact that you know that's wrong. And then chose to do the wrong thing. Yeah, exactly. You've gone, oh, no, she's underage, but okay, let's try this. And then post it publicly. But he's done that so that people will hear it from him first, as if that's any better. He's still broken the law. Let's end on a positive note. So thing that I never even realized until I'd started doing research for this, the overlooked complexity of their music. Now, I used to just think their music was very basic quite easy to play uh just your typical new metal stuff but you know there ain't no one five six fours here there ain't no cowboy strumming but like very round few instances that i can think of uh, my ear was pricked the whole time you know i'd find interesting discoveries you know even a simplicity of adding like a sus four chord leading into the breakdown of pollution right which is very faint you can hear it yeah. it just shows you don't need to hit the music theory books to, you know Create something that has a bit more of a color. I'm looking at you, Chad Kroger. Chad Krongen. And then you look at, you analyze the verse harmony of Nookie, right? So there's like a little, uh, it sounds like guitar, but I think it's like a DJ sample. Um, And the harmony, if you look at it, the verse called to be F sharp minus six flat nine to F sharp sharp five in a single, in a popular top 40 single. Now, doesn't sound horribly dissonant or off-putting. I crave for that to be in popular music. It proves it can be done. I know this is 20 years removed. Um, all I know is Ollie Kant, who is our loving patron, he can definitely recommend us some artists that put in these types of dissonance in their songs. So Ollie Kant, if you listen to this, watching this, doing your ting, doing your ting, give us nice lengthy comment on the Patreon post. Tell us some artists that kind of maybe write what i would call popular music um so just maybe pop songs or rocky songs you know commercially viable songs but have loads of dissonance in them i would i'm craving that right now Mm. um but the most interesting one i got was this one so it'll be okay it's a very simple approach there's only c sharp minor nine to e major in the chords and um where's born throws in a sharp four note which is quite nice. It's very, very bright sounding. But what he does is he just keeps these two root note chords, the C sharp and the E. He just changes the tonalities. So for the pre-chorus bit, we get E major to it. Uh, it goes from E major to E minor. Um, so that's quite cool. It's quite uneasy until you get to this kind of chorus bit. The chorus riffs just a classic limp biscuit, which is C sharp minor pentatonic with the flat nine in there. So you could say Phrygian dominant. Um then the bridge, you get C-sharp major to E major. So he's just changing these major and minor things, keeping the same two chords. I think that's very, very cool. He gets a lot out of it. But then what happens is this. So the vocal melody in the heavy bridge section, right? So Durst sings the notes F and D-sharp. 
So on the C sharp major chord, it gives you the major third and the sus two. They're quite comforting. They're quite nice, assured places to sing notes over those chords. When you go to the E major chord, however, and you sing an F and a D sharp, um, the tonality is changed to the flat nine and the major seven, which are some of the most dissonant notes you could play over a major chord. Um, it's got to be said. So if we were to put these notes together, so the chord which is happening on E major plus the F and the D sharp that Fred sings, you get root, flat second, major third, fourth, fifth, major sixth, major seventh. So it's a major chord as well. So that's a major scale with a flat and second note. So I rung up Mez because I was completely dumbfounded. I could not find where this came from. So a quick theory lesson on modes. Obviously, you've got your happy scale, your major scale, your sad scale, your minor scale. Uh, we look at all the notes on a keyboard, all the white notes from C to C. That gives you C major scale. If you were to play the same notes, but just say start on F and go F to F, it gives you a different sound because your home note is now an F note, but you've changed what the intervals are. So it gives you a more brighter sound. I think that's F Lydian. You can do the same thing. So you can actually then there's these like subsets. I think of them as like a, you're, you're the proper company and then the sister company, you know, WWE, NXT, something like that. Girl skateboards, chocolate skateboards. So that's what modes are. This is what I thought I'd found. I found a mode. So what I'm trying to find is what is the foundational scale for this? Like the foundation, like the simplest fraction, basically. Couldn't find it. Really couldn't find it. I asked you, we were like, it has to come from this, has to come from that. We're burrowing down. And we both found that we're like, well, it just seems to be its own thing. So here's some of the names that I found for the scale. Mela Surakanta, Raga Supra de, de, de Hippam, um, Yagan Mohini, Major Melodic Phrygian, Hungarian Gypsy Inverse. You know, and this is from a user on Reddit. He had allocated this as the Orgian scale from the Hurricane set, which is a system he devised. Um, so he calls it the Orgian scale, but someone else is just like, you're just making it too complicated. It's Ionian flat two, which is basically major yeah. scale with a flat two, which is yeah. true. But then when you think about the, how it sounds, that's, that's actually quite misrepresentative. Um, and this is why you get all these complicated notes and complicated things. But the last place I would think that this debate would happen is an Olymp Biscuit song where you've got Fred yeah. singing these two different notes over this chord. Sounds simple. And you're just like, good Lord, you know, definitely not. He's definitely not sat down and thought that he's just what's come out. But I like that you get that interesting, you know, all the elitists, all oh, limp biscuits, simple and easy. So like, yeah, we'll actually break it down a little bit. That's, that's more complicated than a lot of your complicated bands and dream theater and all these things. It's like, you tell me. So if you can give me another song in Western popular music culture, Ollie Cant, looking at you again, um, that uses a scale, because otherwise I'm going to name it to the Durstian mode. It's going to be the Fred Durstian mode. I know nothing you can do about that. That was a very interesting discovery for me. They are a lot more complex than you think, and that's very welcome. So please listen to the music. Think about the melodies. Think about that. Oh, wow, that's a really interesting clash of notes here, especially in Westbourne's guitar playing. Um, yeah. Production. I'd say production is great across the board, really. It doesn't need to be discussed. They have very sheeny sounding stuff. They've got more raw sounding stuff like $3 Bill, Questionable Truth, uh, Gold Cobra. 
um, and their musical style really doesn't evolve that much, which I guess is a, a their musical range. Their most rap rock song is Rolling. Their most new metal rap song is Break Stuff. Their poppiest moments behind Blue Eyes. Their best rap song is End Together Now. That is a bona fide like, classic, I think. Got DJ Premier produ- producing, Method Man, who's just one of the best rappers alive ever. And Fred Durst, who does a really, really good job. I think that's their best rap song they've ever done. Um, but they do have a strange anomaly, like Endless Slaughter. I don't know if you've heard this. It's a single that will off of the Stampede Disco Elephants. If you haven't, go listen to it. It's a weird, like, Bohemian Rhapsody three-part, four-part suite of songs. But it's got, a, like, one of Borland's catchiest riffs in recent years. An interesting Durst delivery of vocals that are not the same as it was before. Definitely go listen to that. Um, but then it kind of goes into a weird, like, 80s rock like bit where he starts singing really nasally yeah proper strange and just kind of ruins it for me but the first two parts out of the four are great um really really good <coughs> so what do i want limp biscuit to be if i had full control of limp biscuit i want them to take the song the truth which is off the unquestionable truth part one ep and write about 319 more songs like that I want them to take the first two sections of Endless Slaughter and write about 320 songs more like that. And maybe get Wes Ball and singing some lead vocals on some songs. Because he can clearly sing. He's got Black Light Burns. He's a good singer. I think that would be very interesting to do. Maybe then they could break out of the kind of rap rock, just die to death. And they could maybe branch out and just explore. I just want them to try something completely different. Look at OK Human by Weezer, where it's piano and orchestra. Not saying to go that far, but just try something different, please. They, they, ha- I think they got their diehard fans. Fair enough, but like, I think they could try that now. They're not in the public spotlight. They don't have to like stick to a formula. Actually, try and see what happens. You know, instead of like, no one wants to hear that. Do you agree? I do agree. Yeah, he does agree. Any, any of your football fan perspectives? If you had control of what Limp Biscuit could be. What would you kind of chuck in? Um. Would you want to hear more rap stuff from them? Like more, more in the actual rap songs? Would you want to hear, I don't know. I always find it really interesting to see where a band are just going, you know, no matter what they do, I find it interesting to see where they're going and how they're doing it and the process behind it. I think that's really cool in itself. Um, It's not much of a James Murphy 50 ways podcast answer, but genuinely I, I think that would be interesting because that way it's um yeah it's just i I guess that's just what i think i think it'd be cool to hear what they do um it'd be very easy for me to turn around and say more my way please but then i get bored of my way um it's the same as anything it's like i love iron maiden i think they're great but for the past 10 20 years they've been releasing the same music and not to rag on them but it is. I'm sorry. It just you listen to it. You go, okay, this this could have been released in 2000. It could have been released in 2010, 2015, or yesterday. Um, that doesn't mean to say it's not good. It's just more Iron Maiden, you know. Yeah. It's more modern Iron Maiden, and I mean, I always find it very interesting when people sort of change stuff up. Although 
it cannot 100% go right from, from my perspective. Lamb of God, uh, famously, um, famously screaming vocals, did a song on the album before the last one where the singer, the vocalist was singing everything. And I don't like it. And the reason why I don't like it is quite simple because it's not very complex. And a lot of what I go to for that band is fast paced, complex riffs and disgustingness. But it's not there because the singer, the vocalist is trying to find his voice. Once he develops that, some special stuff's coming out. So I didn't enjoy the song, but I enjoyed the fact that he experimented because I know that he now knows that he's gone, I can sing. I can sing. And obviously when you learn any new skill, you've got to go through the motions, haven't you? You've got to go, okay, there's 15,000 ways of doing this, and I can either try and do them all or I can find some I am good at with this particular skill set and I can just I can just take it in another direction. So I'm kind of waiting on that. You know, I'm kind of waiting on that experiment. And, and I think every band does it to some extent. Iron Maiden did it in the 80s when they decided to add synths and keyboards and guitar synths. And I think it really lends to their sound. In fact, uh, Metallica did it as well, didn't they? Although they weren't that happy with it adding keyboard to songs and stuff, but it pads, it adds stuff to it. It makes the sound different yeah. um, and it works. So I'm, um, yeah, I think it'd be cool to see Limp Bizkit experiment. It'd be cool to see them get out of the comfort zone. I can't necessarily see exactly what they do, um, but it would be cool to see. So I just kind of let them do the thing because eventually with someone like Wes Borland, who is, innovative he knows he knows what he can write he knows what sounds good for his band he is eventually going to go well that sounds good but i've done that i want to do something else and he might leave or he might start experimenting but either way it will be interesting so my my say is let him do his thing let him do his thing exactly but fred durst don't play guitar please don't we don't want to hear it yeah I, i i agree with you so uh, I'll go my worst five Limp Biscuit tunes. And again, our thing is not really to like bash and go like, right, put make a list of things, but I've only got one that's behind Blue Eyes. That's the only <laughs> one I can't stand. It's the only one I can't stand. Five. Everything else is fine. Everything else is fine. It might just be a little bit like, oh, I wouldn't listen to that again. I wouldn't, you know, if it was on shuffle, I'd, I'd just move it along. But uh, my top five. So let's, let's try and do a joint top five. You can add in some. So this is my five in any order. My way, just like this, end together now, hold on, and the truth. Now, are there any that you that you haven't heard there that you would put in instead? I prefer an as well as, to be honest. Mm. Um, you've, you've got some great ones there. I definitely include break stuff. Because it's just it's just big in it. Yeah, it's just great. It sums up Limbiscuit in one song, really, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'd also include Pollution. Oh, I yeah. love Pollution. In I fact, like Counterfeit more than Pollution. Yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I was just going to say, in fact, anything from that first album because it's just all pumping, in my opinion. 
And I think to get people on board with Limp Bizkit, I think go to their first record. Yes. I think it's Absolutely. a lot more raw. Yeah. It's free blowing up and being massive and selling out, not selling out, but um, oh. mainstreaming of their sound, perhaps getting on nice and clean and for the ballads are properly in there. Like it's just really, it's really cool to hear. And I think yeah. it does. It just reminds me of the first Slipknot record where it's just noisy. It's loud. It's, it's great. I think it really is great. And straight off the bat, they already sound like Limp Bizkit. And that is, that's a very impressive thing to have you know, on your first album. Very few people have achieved it. Dire Straits did it on their first record. They sounded like Dire Straits. You know, not even not not even Metallica sounded like Metallica on their first record. Not no. not, not what they became. You know, no. so a lot of bands. Iron Maiden had that. Queen had that. Um, I know you said ACDC then, but I feel like I need to listen to that first record more before making that sort of joke. They sound exactly the same. The only song that I've heard which doesn't yeah. sound like them is Gone Shooting, which I really wish they had. Oh, yeah, more Gone of. Shooting. What a banger. Really good. Really good. What a banger. But yeah, that's that's what I think. Uh, my my way is just, as I said, it's, it, I think it's my favourite Limp Bizkit song. And um, I don't care that it's popular. I don't care that a lot of people listen to it. I'm, I'm not here to be... I, I hate that. Oh, you wouldn't have heard of my favourite band. Well, that's obviously because they're shit then, mate. <laughs> Get out of my flat. Get out of my house. Leave. She. In your lake. No, I just... I can't stand that. That, that small-minded, petty way of thinking. I'm better than you because you've never heard of the band that I listen to. No, you're not. Get a life. Go away, you smell. And on that note, I think we will end, wrap up this episode there. So. If you want to buy a mug, we will have the shop up soon. I don't know how and when. I'll try and do it next week. Um, we're going to have different colors of T-shirts. We're going to do mugs. We're going to do mugs with the logo, the same logo that the T-shirt has. I will... Post maybe some other stuff up on there. See how it is. We'll try and do it for a nice tidy price. Um, 15 yeah. quid. Per, 15 quid. Per for, that, for the handle of the mug. Yeah, for the handle. Um, and 30 for the mug. And then yep. 35 if you want my face on it. Oh, fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, again, let us know your thoughts about Limp Biscuit. Um, what was your experience with them growing up? What are some of your favorite tunes? What are the songs you can't stand by them? Maybe, maybe what are your reasons for hating them? You know, um, anything we've missed, got wrong, please comment, please tell us, always tell us. And next week, we're going to do singing competition albums. So people from The X Factor, people from Pop Idol, all of those kind of shows, we're going to go in. We're going to go in. I think I know which one I'm going to do. I think it's you and Quig. You uh, and Quig's album, but I may I may change. I may do whatever. Um, we'll try and let everyone know. So yes, we're going to look forward to that one. And that's really all I've got. So in honor of um, Fred Durst. Get your atmos. We got our hats on backwards. Did we do it all for the nookie? It's just one of those days. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Right. 
Take it easy then, kidder. And get one of your mugs. Mugs, 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 mugs. You're a bunch of mugs, please. Hey.